11 o'clock comics episode 72 Just, uh, just, uh, you guys keep talking and I'll keep talking. I'm sure there would be many people that will be. Okay, Vince, you're, Vince, you're, you're all stabbing. Oh. 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 Look at Wooden and myself meeting of the minds here. That's nice. I love it. He's back. Yes, it's 11 o'clock comics, and I am Vince B. I'm Christopher Neesman. I'm David Price. And I'm Aiden Murphy. <laughs> Yo, no, you're not. Yamp you Bunny. No, it's Jason Wood <laughs> back again me. in the house with us. Thankfully, I missed him so much. Jason Wood. <laughs> What's up, boys? It's never right whenever one of us is, is gone. It's you not. guys seem pretty comfortable last week without me, I must say. Oh, please. <laughs> it was just like the first half dozen episodes. Jason, oh, I, I, I missed you a lot. Yeah, because he was talking about Fantastic Four and Daredevil. And yeah, man. He was, I was like, I was he like was hurt. Can, can we crawl out of Marvel's ass for just a second so I can oh, wait, my Did breath? anybody read Daredevil? Yeah, Ooh. okay. <laughs> right. uh, well, that's not going to happen with me this week. Oh, well. <laughs> we are back. Bullpen Bullens has never been less not back, man. <laughs> 2.0. That'd be better the second time oh, around. If we talk about what we said we were going to talk about two episodes ago, then we'll be fine. Jason, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I want to know who just dropped off the call. Oh, Chris did. The nobody. Oh, crap. You wanted to talk about the nobody. <laughs> I, yes, we do want to talk about the nobody. Right, have you guys all finally strapped on on Reddit? I did. I read it. Yeah, and I know Chris has read it, so we're good. Well, if Chris was on the call, doing the virtual call. I think he's got a reboot because uh, he's not on the list. He's not on the list. Oh, well, we'll just just keep doing. Why don't we do the drink roll call in lieu of Chris? David, why don't you do it? We're going to hear your your dulcet tones. Holy crap, okay. Uh, So we have the drink roll call. What are you drinking, Jason? I am drinking drinking a Pacifico, which is a... uh, uh, Latin American beer that uh, it's pretty good. It's it's like uh, like the yingling of the uh, of the Latino world. Wow, wow, that's a good comparison. Good. It is yeah. good. Yeah. What are you drinking, Vince? Pepsi Max. Aren't you stunned? I, this is the part where you sigh. <sighs> good. Very. Well, we nice. cut, I, I I believe Jason was going to say something else. Oh really? Uh, I was just going to say that unlike many beers from. Mexico and other Latin American countries. Uh, this is one that's really not designed to drink with a lime. You know, a lot of people put lime in a lot of their uh, their Latin beers. Oh, okay. It require the lime, but yeah. I, I have to report on something that someone asked on the uh, the Libsyn blog. I saw that. Yeah, and and no, I, I don't believe I said anything about Medulla being the only dark Mexican. I said it's imported from Mexico because Vince asked, and I said it's really the only dark beer that I drink. But tonight, 
I am uh, drinking a half a liter of Poland Spring. That's wow. water. That is water, my friend. Why? I'm drinking water tonight. That's all right. It is. Hey, get in where you fit in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is like a friggin' train wreck already. We're only like five minutes into know, it, and it's a see, mess. Because see, the, the wheels fall off, and one of us isn't here. Chris does the drink roll call. Chris isn't here. we got to learn and how to ride all over again. It's a freaking mess, man. But Chris is back. He is? Chris is waiting for you to chime him, and he can't yes. see you. And oh, like there he is. Yeah. Hi. Perfect. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, it happens. Always drama. We ain't paying for it, so we can't bitch about guys. What are you drinking, Chris? I am uh, I am drinking a wonderful uh, Elijah Craig twelve year old bourbon. It is one of my oh, favorites, and uh, you know it's it's one that my wife turned me on to several years ago. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's my wife, <laughs> and uh, uh, we found it at a whiskey fest in Chicago a few years ago, and you could buy it at the time for about sixteen dollars a bottle, and we were blown away. By how good it was, and then um, other people started to discover how good it was, and then more people discovered how good it was, and now it's like twenty five dollars a bottle, but nice. it's still really good. What, so. Why do I get the sense that a whiskey fest would be someplace where there's a lot of impulse buying? I don't even know if they actually had whiskey for sale there. This huh? thing is it is awesome. It is. Uh, uh, at the time, I think it's gone up in price now, but it's seventy five dollars a ticket. And you you go there and check it. It's kind of like a comic book convention for whiskey nerds. And you you go there and you check in and you get your special whiskey fest glass for sampling different spirits. And then there's like a huge um, buffet table, you know, for like snacks and and that kind of stuff. So you know you can really good food kind of throughout the uh, throughout the hall. And then you go. To these different booths and you try different whiskeys and it was amazing everything from you know scotches to, to rye whiskeys to a lot of bourbon was really getting into the scene at, at that time really exploding in popularity there were uh whiskey panels i went to one uh that was a uh, uh the fortune brands uh, it was the oh Knob Creek and Bakers and Bookers and uh, uh, Basil Hayden, and it was run by Fred No, who's Jim Beam's grandson, hmm. which was very cool. So I just nerded out on whiskey, and so there you go. And Chris <laughs> will have awesome. to listen to this episode to find <laughs> out what we're drinking. I, I guess you could say that that stuff you're drinking is like the Jeff Loeb Hulk of the bourbon world because they can charge more because it's good and people want it. <laughs> that what I'm, people, that's what I'm saying. And some people wow. Really Are you trying like to stick a like knife in my, in my ribs on my first, my first few minutes back on the show? Is that what you're <laughs> Hey, you, you know, you that, know that, that, actually, that actually ha- does lead me into something. If, if, well, if it, before I drag you into something, let me just take uh-huh. care of a little bit of business. This oh, episode of 11 O'Clock Comics, he's trampling all over, is... Unfortunately for them, I'm thinking at this point in time, once they get a wind of this train wreck, is sponsored by DCBS. That's Discount Comic Book Service. Stop paying retail price for your comics. It doesn't have to happen. You can get them at a significant discount. Just check out DCBService.com. 50, 40, 35, up to 75%. See, I went backwards. I switched it up. Up to 75% off some of your favorite books and all the other stuff you can get through previews. You can get through them, and they'll deliver it right to your house at the frequency you desire. 
it, they're beautiful, beautiful service, the best. I get my books from them. Some of the other guys do. They're awesome. You should try them out, dcbservice.com. It's like a beautiful woman. Once you get a taste, you're never going to leave. They are so sweet, though, because it's, it's, I, I love them. I just hate waiting till the end of the month. Oh, it's like Christmas. I get my books. It is. Oh, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, yeah. I open that box and I'm just, I dive in and I'm sw- I'm like Scrooge in his vault, but Scrooge McDuck rather in his vault. And it's, it's, but man, that, those next four weeks to wait for the next one is just like, <laughs> yeah, it's well, tough. You could do the, the every two week shipping like I do, or if you're you really die hard, you could do every week shipping, but obviously it's going to eat into some of your savings. Yeah, so. but they have a flat rate shipping for once a month. It's five ninety something. That's ninety five. Awesome. That's crazy. Yep. And you know he's eating some of that postage. He has to, because I got it a box. Ships. I got a box yesterday, and it must have been at least fifteen pounds. I yeah, got but, the, the Vertigo yeah, Crime it, stuff was in it. Mm-hmm. Like tons of comics. Zach put a pack of comics in there. We're trading. It was it was really heavy. And there's no way that box was. Was five ninety five to ship? It had to be. I, I, I love it when Zach packs boxes. Yeah, he's co- he's good. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's the thing that, that all, all of Cameron's labor is paid. He doesn't pay him in cash; he pays him in comics. So. <laughs> I'd do it. It's as good as comics would <laughs> be. I know you probably. Would. It's going to go down less than the uh, U.S. dollar will in the next five ten years. So. Hey guys, this is Andy Duke. Just calling to say that I had a great time in Chicago with uh, Vince, and it was nice to see Chris, of course. Uh, really looking forward to seeing David and Jason at uh, Windy City Comic Con. And, of course, always looking forward to seeing Chris again. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. Had a great time in Chicago. Everybody should go to that show next year. Keep it going. Talk to you guys later. Yay, comics. Chris, what were we leading you into with that Hulk stuff? I read Incredible Hulk 601 this week oh, on beautiful. the recommendation of of Rick Hansen, who's one of our listeners on what, ABC, what, what? who lives, uh, lives in, in Chicago and came in and sat in with us this week. And he was raving about this book, and I promised him I would pick it up, and I did so. And it is one of the what's well, it's the best Hulk I've read since Planet Hulk. Well, wow! So you you take Mr. Hansen's word for it, and I've been choking you with that uh, stuff. It's from- it's always like that. It's like when your wife tells you something and you don't listen, but then one of your buddies mentions it, and you're like, "Oh, it's the greatest thing in the world." It trust me. Well, yeah, yeah. I it's like it's so. like it's like the the thread on the forum that popped up this week um, about someone really liking Lock and Key. It's oh. Like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. But it's not like one of us said it's finally good. Oh, finally I think it was Jason, wasn't it? That was pushing the lock and key. Yeah, it was Jason. Oh, shut up! But uh, <laughs> actually, you well, know, no, Chris got me into Ghost Rider, so it's all good. Yeah, well, that's right. Last week, Chris, <laughs> Chris called that killer of demons last week, as though I never talked about it when it was coming out. <laughs> all right, let's. Like, hey, let's I discovered this book I never heard of, Killer of Demons. <laughs> let's make with the Hulk goodness. Come on. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I enjoyed everything from the the, the Olivetti art, which works. I think in some books better than it does in others. I actually yes. like the Olivetti art in Punisher. I thought it was great for the kind of uh, fun vibe that that fraction had working in that. It's a there. There's a for being a painted book. There's a playfulness to his style that I really enjoy. And this is it's a it's a really different 
twist on on the uh, the buddy book. You know, the, we have this this odd couple that is is paired up by the end of this book that is going to make for a very interesting traveling companions and you mm-hmm. know I, I, it's not it's not too much of a spoiler cuz it's right there on the cover but you have Bruce Banner who is apparently uh, ridded himself of of the Hulk that there's um. no there's no gamma energy showing up in him and he's just he's you know He's not super powered. He's still mm-hmm. one of the eight smartest people mm-hmm. on the planet. Yeah. Um, the Red Hulk did that, by the way. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I got everything I need right here in this book. I'm reading Hulk. Be happy. But you know, so while he isn't the Hulk, it's everything about Bruce Banner that was uh, that was interesting beforehand. He's he's incredibly smart. And he's kind of mischievous as well. He's uh, he's Reed Richards without as much of a conscience. Is how I kind of read read Bruce Banner right now, which is is kind of not not that he's evil or mean, but he's willing to step over lines that like Reed wouldn't step over. And he teams up with the son of Hulk, and they're into uh, interesting adventures. And and but, I like but there's that. A, there's a goal. There's a goal why he's teaming up with Scar. That's to toughen the boy up. Because in his current state, there's no way in hell he's going to be able to beat the Hulk when he eventually comes back. So he's trying to toughen him up, and they pick a fight with someone at the end, (laughs) which will lead to another fight. That's what I've heard. The next two or three issues is just Banner leading Scar around and throwing him in the face of these super-powered, uber-powerful dudes to toughen him up. Yeah, so we're going to see guys, you know, like Rhino and, and... you know, the, I'm trying to think of the you know abomination type guys. He's gonna he's gonna track down the the biggest bads in the in the the Marvel U and and toughen the boy up. That brashness yeah. that that Banner has now that may be a lingering after effect of the Hulk's personality because he's really confident in this book. Well, he's confident, but you know, probably more than any other character in in the Marvel U, and, and that's a bold statement. But uh, if, historically, Banner gets kicked around or drug around by the nuts more than any other Ooh. character in the universe. It's and by now, it's like, yeah, I'd have a little bit of a fucking uh, chip on my shoulder at this point too. And I, I think it's great how how Pack portrays that. He's he's incredibly smart but uh he's he's kind of a kind of a jackass and i like that he chumps the rest of the seven smartest people in the marvel u in yep. one issue i, I love the for, part where uh, except for amadeus amadeus kind of right. he gets the jump on him but i love the part when he's talking to reed and it turns into a fantastic voyage or journey type thing where the the uh the ship comes flying out of his nose and oh by the way there there was there was a uh reconnaissance ship in your nasal passages that just so happens to contain Hank Pym the beast yeah. black panther and Amadeus Cho it was just in your nose you know so yeah. that's that is just cool very inventive and a, and a, gr- a great panel a great panel I'll, i yeah. i really it's a pack you know Greg Pak just needs to write the Hulk, and I. But I really did enjoy Ariel Olivetti's art. I thought it was was really nice in this. But Greg Pak, just he's one of those guys. It, it's kind of a yeoman writer. He just does good work, and he understands that character. He understands uh, not just the Hulk side, but 
but the the banner side. And now he gets to write kind of both of them at the same time, which I think is very cool. I think I have it figured out, this whole Red Hulk, Green Hulk, what it reminds me of. Have you ever seen... No. Have you ever seen War of the Gargantuas? No. It's a Japanese movie from the mid... 70s with these two colossal beasts one was green one was red and the red one was the nasty belligerent bloodthirsty one the green one was kind of cool you know laid back gargantua just hanging out saving people and that's the movie they just beat the crap out of each other for the whole movie that's what this current hulk storyline is to me it's marvel's war of the gargantuas that will mean nothing to you if you haven't seen the movie. But if you have, there's a couple people listening right now. They're going, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. That was pretty good. So, yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> Yay, nothing. Okay. So there you go. That's, that's two, week, two, week, two, week, two weeks in a row that I've talked about staple Marvel titles and have enjoyed them. We'll get to that later. So, so no more of this yeah. Chris hates Marvel stuff. I, I enjoy I enjoyed this and Fantastic Four is actually good again. Wow, good! And the backup in Hulk six hundred one is written by someone that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Hey guys, it's Matt aka Blaze Fire thirty three, and uh, I'm on Twitter and I saw something pop up on the Marvel tweets. The first look at Deadpool team up number eight ninety nine. It says because you demanded it. I don't think anybody demanded it. I know I sure as hell didn't, and I'm one of the big Deadpool fans out there. I don't even think my main man, Jason Wood, demanded it. And that leads me to say something. Marvel, stop whoring out Deadpool. God damn. I didn't ask or demand to see him in Hulk. I didn't demand to see him in Miss Marvel. I didn't even demand a new ongoing title. For God's sakes, just give it a rest. How about you focus on improving the main title, and since you have a new ongoing, why don't you work on building that up to give it some credibility? And of course, there's going to be Deadpool 900, which I'm sure it'll be great with Kyle Baker's art as well as Ron Liefeld. And of course, there's the whole Deadpool showing up in Amazing Spider-Man number 611, where Joe Kelly's going to be writing. But for the love of God, stop whoring them out. Even I'm getting tired of it now. And I love the character. All right. That's all I got to say. Peace, love, chicken grease. Let's talk about the nobody, dude. Dude, let's do it. Yes. We've been putting this off friggin' forever. Oh, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't read it yet. Oh, bullshit. Dude. Reach through this phone. I was probably the first one of us. I was yeah, probably I think the you first were. one of us to, to react. Actually, I need to find And there goes the hey, mute wow. button again. What a wow. pinhead. Um, <laughs> and while we're on the subject of the nobody, the author of said work, Mr. Jeff Lemire, is running a special promotion, and you can access it on our forum by typing in forum.bullpenbulletinspodcast.com or www.11oclockcomics.com. If you buy the first issue of Sweet Tooth and send it to Mr. Lemire in a self-addressed stamped envelope, he will sign the book and do you a little sketch as a, as a way of saying thank you. Yes. So that is... Yes. So cool is there. It is. It is. It's. It's very cool. And he lives in Canada. So 
Yeah. You might want, I don't know if, if, if you want to up the, the postage or go ahead, send it right. to them, pay for the postage, have it sent back. And, uh, and, and first of all, never mind, even if, even if he wasn't being this generous with the, the signing and the sketch, the first issue is only a buck. One dollar. Mm-hmm. Here's a little strategy for you when you go to the post office. Do not seal the envelope containing your copy of Sweet Tooth. Get the return postage envelope weighed with the comic in it because a, a sketch is not going to add much more to the to the weight. Affix the postage to the interior envelope and then put them all in the big envelope and weigh that and have them put the postage on that. That's the way to do it. Cool. Chris is fucking up everything tonight. <laughs> hilarious. He's gone again. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, this it's a very very nice gesture on Jeff Lemire's part. And he also did it for the for the nobody graphic Yes, novel. yeah, if you yeah, if you told him you ordered it, definitely. This time it's a little different though. You actually are sending him the comic, but this way you're getting the comic signed. So it's kind of hard from to sign the comic without you sending it to him. I think the cost of postage is well worth a Jeff Lemire sketch because I I hesitate to even call them sketches. They're little mini paintings. Yeah, they really are. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget to remind people we've been talking about Sweet Tooth for some time, but it actually is finally here. First issues on shelves as of this this morning. Right. So it's a buck at your local store right now. And uh, and it is uh, everything it's cracked up to be. It was a hell of a first issue. You know, I, I see it for yourself, but uh, all I, you know, Jeff's work is traditional because he, he illustrates it himself completely. It's traditionally been black and white, but uh, Jose Villarubia does colors now on top of his of his pencils and inks, and it's uh, it's it looks great. I mean, the, the colors really really work well with it. It's a nice palette, and uh, boy, is this uh, this this ongoing starts off with a bang, uh, pun intended. So, okay. oh, is it kind of like Bambi? Uh, it's a little, maybe a little something analogous to that, mayhap. Mm. See, because I don't get mine till the end of the month. Same here. Unfortunately, is it a, an extra-sized first issue? Uh, you know, it it didn't feel like it was, but to be honest, I wasn't. I didn't take take note of it. I just okay. it was a quick read, though, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it was normal-sized, standard-sized first issue. But for I a buck, wait. dude, it's like, shh, I mean, hmm. how the hell can you go wrong? You I've only I mean? been disappointed so far in one Vertigo series. Mm-hmm. And and that's Greek Free Street. Street. I just say, did yeah, not recent, connect with me it? at all. And me neither. And, and I'm I'm paid up to issue what four now, and I could not. Uh, I believe I have the first come. issue. I haven't I haven't bothered to mm-hmm. crack it open yet. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. have through the I paid up through the first three and, and stopped after I read that first issue and immediately st- just stopped pre-ordering it. So yeah, you know what? I think the the initial storyline goes to issue number five. So I'm mm-hmm. going to write it out till the fifth issue, maybe. <laughs> You know, maybe it'll kick in somewhere along the line. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not hoping for much. It, it just seemed hollow to me. I, 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 I don't know. It, it had a very nice quote on the front from Grant Morrison. I'm thinking, wow, Grant likes it. I probably will too. Nah, unfortunately not. But that's the only misstep so far, as far as I'm concerned, that Vertigo has made. They, they're mm-hmm. hitting, firing on all cylinders lately. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to get the uh, Sweet Tooth. Where is Chris? Uh, he's, he may he's not, not be able even... to see you, vice versa, because he couldn't see before. I see him. Yeah, how stupid I am. I turn around to 
get the nobody and i re- i've got the uh, usb headset that it's the uh, it's the two eighth inch plugs the mic and the and the headphone one that mm-hmm. clip into an adapter so they yank out of there and i'm like oh shit so i plug them back in and i'm just like can't hear can't you know can't speak you guys can't hear me blah 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 i go through all the preferences i'm like oh fuck it and then as right as i hit the restart button on the computer i noticed that i put the wrong one some of the wrong jack <laughs> put the mic into the headphone and the headphone into the mic and i'm like okay yeah i'm an idiot i deserve that yeah so, i get in I'm, trouble when i put the wrong plugs in the wife's jacks get them when so you fit in are you playing into the wrong jack that's all right. right. There is no wrong, Jack. All right, so oh. Jason, this is your baby. You've been all fired up on the nobody. Why don't you lead the charge? Okay. But I will say one thing. Yeah. As far as <laughs> tactile sense from the cover, I don't know what they wrapped the hardcover in, this material or this plastic-coated stuff they have on the book. I can't stop f- touching the cover. You're right. It it has a neat little rubbery kind of malleableness to it. I love it. It's I I I was reading it thinking, oh, this is quite pleasurable, and I'm just caressing <laughs> the cover. No, really. Did, did you guys get the same thing out of the cover? It's got a neat little. I don't even know what kind of substance this is, but it just feels great. I would like a clothes made out of this stuff. Honey, honey, what are you doing in there? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I swear, no, nothing. Just leave, leave me my book alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really neat kind of material. Who are you okay. with in there? Nobody. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> nobody. Literally. All right, go, Jason. Nice. Sorry about that. So, The Nobody, uh, written and drawn by Jeff Lemire, as I'm sure anyone that listens to our show is probably sick of hearing us talk. <laughs> leading up to this, we've been, we've been leading into this book uh, for some time. It came out, what, about a month ago now? It's been... Oh, it's been four, no, two, four or five two, weeks, right? At least two yeah. months. That's been over a, a while. Bit. Yeah, okay. So um, so basically, it's Jeff's take. I mean, at its simplest, I think it's fair to say it's Jeff's take on H.G. Uh, Wells' The Invisible Man. If For those that aren't that familiar with Jeff's work, uh, his Essex County trilogy specifically, and he's he talks about this quite a bit, that you know he's one of the defining components of his work, at least to date, has been the synthesizing of, of, of what it's like to live in, in a small town and, and how that shapes uh, your experiences and your perspective on other people and the way you interact and, uh, and also the loneliness that comes with that. And Jeff is Canadian, so it, most of these stories take place in uh, uh, small Canadian towns. So this takes, takes place in a, in a small town which has got a great name, Largemouth, um, which for those of you that fish, obviously it's an homage to Largemouth Bass. But it's a small fishing village named Largemouth and effectively a stranger shows up. Uh, and he's wrapped in in bandages. Um, you know, he's got goggles on. It's the classic uh, Invisible Man look, mm-hmm. trench coat, and all that good stuff. And he shows up in the town, and basically, it's it's a look into his time in this town. And, and he is the Invisible Man, as we come to find out. But but it's it's not again the the beauty of this story is that yeah, it is it is a, a guy that's invisible, and, and and certainly that's part of the story. But it's to me, it was the story wouldn't have been much less enjoyable or unique if if it was just a stranger coming into the town the the story the story is about the town it's not about the man correct correct and how the town handles a stranger who's an oddball um and for a while they pretty much ignore him and, and don't really care about him one or the other but sure enough he befriends a a young girl and it's a it's an innocent friendship um you know she's kind of a 
uh, an outcast herself, and, and so she's intrigued by him, and uh, and they have some commonality between them, and they befriend each other. But then, of course, as I think is probably want to happen in a small town where people are have some xenophobia inherent in them, um, his friendship with her starts to sour the town on him, and and people start you know questioning who he is, what he's doing, why he's doing it, and and that quickly leads to a, a relatively uh, unhappy outcome um mm-hmm. for the the man uh the invisible man and uh see you keep saying invisible man Th- that's one of the things uh, i've read this book what two weeks now and mm-hmm. i'm still mulling over some of the events of this book mm-hmm. yes on one level he is invisible but is he really like that's the thing about this book it's so ambiguous all of the the crucial scenes involving Griffin slash Kemp, you can interpret them a, a whole bunch of ways. Is he really invisible? Yeah, because when Mr. Marvel's dog bit his hand, we didn't see a hand. Right, right. But then how do you explain the fight in the hotel room? Was he fighting with his, with himself? Was he fighting? Was he at war with his consciousness? He, there's there's a, a whole bunch of different ways to interpret this thing. And then the thing that gets me is the end of the book, which we'll get to. There's a revelation that he may not have been invisible at all. I think to be fair, this is a case where you're reading too much into it because in every interview Jeff did, he can't. I mean, he he makes no bones about that. This is this is his interpretation of the Invisible Man. Okay, I mean, well, the, is, well, it's his interpretation of it, which. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, I mean, he's, he, it's not like, it's not like he's playing with a theme that's similar to the Invisible Man. I mean, he comes out and says, you know, this is, I, I wanted to do something with the Invisible Man and, you know, tell right. my, my, my version of that story. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I take it at, at face value that, yes, he's invisible, and that's why he's got a lab set up in his office, in his, in his hotel room, trying to, um, to figure out a, a cure for, you know, his, his, his issues. Okay. I mean, Okay, then how do you explain the fight in the hotel room? He's exchanging blows with a dude who shares his last name and his physical makeup and his face. How do you explain that? In all the flashbacks that we see of of Griffin Kemp talking to his wife and taking the formula, the face is exactly the same on the man that he fights in the hotel room. And... The body, and obviously there's spoilers. If you haven't read the book, then just stop listening to it right now and go go to the next part. The the body that he dr- dumps into the lake, they make no mention of that at the end. They they may make mention of his body being pulled up, but they don't mention that they. Oh yeah, we found another person in the lake. So well, did, no, no, I th- I, th- I think the no no no, think no. The, no they, the body that they pulled out was the other was the body other guy, and he, and he escaped because he he's no, it said this is two days later they pulled Griffin's body out of the lake yeah i didn't couldn't see the body but they claimed there was nothing wrong with him under those bandages at least not physically wrong anyway no scars no burns and miraculously right. so, that, it was, it, so that would yeah, explain it, was, it, was, it. it yeah it wasn't it wasn't look like him Griffin. so right, that would explain the footprints at right the end. he yeah. killed Griffin, bandaged him up threw him in the lake to make everyone think he died so all these flashbacks are of the other guy not him yes so the other guy was the one that killed Griffin's wife. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's been no, no, six no. weeks since I read this, so... No, 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 no. But he was, no. he was definitely invisible. You know, I was just, you know, looking at the... You know, he was invisible. You know, the pages where he's, he's bandaging his hand, and, you know, unless it's, like, his psychosis, um, you know, which... You, 
then you know you can get into into that is does he or is it from his perspective and he thinks he's invisible but no i think he was actually invisible hmm. yeah i think he's actually invisible and i think that's the whole big that's the whole big twist at the end is that he kills the guy who found him he puts him in his clothes and bandages and drops him off in the lake where they find him and say oh we found him and he's not disfigured and he because he's invisible was able to make a getaway and lives on somewhere else so I mean I think that's that was kind of the whole point. Like he gets out and lives lives on to another adventure of you know that someday down the road, you know somewhere else. But his time at, at Large Mouth is over, and and the people of Large Mouth think he's dead. One of the things that lo- that that I love about Jeff's just writing, not just his writing, just his, his entire approach to to making making these different these different comics is that he he paces things completely different than I find in any other comics. His pacing is pretty unique and and there's like this deliberate sparseness to his work that and there's there's not a lot that happens in his books, but what does happen is usually very poignant and it has a lot of weight to it, but there's there's a, a sparseness to it. It's almost kind of you know it's 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 Canadian. It's it's like standing in a in a Canadian you know wheat field, and there's just a, a calmness to it that that carries a weight. But there's you know that that that's kind of what it makes me think of. I mean, do you guys get that from his work? Oh, absolutely. I think that's that defines him so far is that his panels are intentionally sparse right i mean there's not a lot of lines in each panel it's you know pretty minimal line work and even the dialogue i mean the dialogue is i think one of the great things about jeff is that he he lets to whatever extent possible he lets the artwork tell the story i mean the words are there when they need to be but there's absolutely no exposition i mean there's no you know the words are there strictly when they need to be because they're having a conversation. Everything else is dictated by the panel layouts and, the, and, and what's on the page, which I love. And uh, uh, and I think that contributes to what you're saying, Chris, about the pacing. His books feel like a small town. Uh, you know, when, when you think, I mean, I'm not from a, a small town, but when you think of small towns, I think, you know, one of the stereotypes is that it's slow moving, right? That no one's in a hurry, that there isn't a ton to do. So, you know, you kind of take your, your time getting from point A to point B. It seems like, at least when I read his his books to date, I get that same sense that, you know, things are not frenetic, except that maybe, you know, every now and then they get that way. I'm, I'm looking at the section where he's going into how the serum messed with his mind, it poisoned right. him, and he's talking about the incident where he assaulted his wife, okay, okay. where he, he punches her in the face. Yep. The, f- the face of the man that... That's the first time it really looks like the guy in the motel room. Right. The, that's the face of the man that's hitting his wife is the face of the guy in the motel room. And it, he, they both he, he were in love him. with the wife, though. No, no. Well, yeah, doesn't he say you took no, her from, it's took her right, from? No, it, it's right there on the page when he said, I loved her, I loved her so much, and the unbandaged face in the motel room said, so did I, you bastard. Yes, exactly, because the serum made him go crazy. I'm not questioning the fact that he, he kills his wife. Right. I'm not. I'm not questioning the fact that he killed his wife. I'm questioning the fact that why do they both have the same face? In the flashbacks, the face of the man hitting the wife is the same face of the dude in the hotel room. I'm not sure. Um, I guess I'm not sure. I'm understanding what you're saying. Um, why? Why would Jeff Lemire, as an author, 
-hmm. Taylor, both characters' appearances to be exactly the same. What is he saying? I, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm still thinking about this book so long after I've read it. It's, it the, the, the identity of John Griffin and this Kemp guy, I, I ha I'm having trouble discerning who's who. It's it's ambiguous, much like the uh, bandaged man himself. It's there's I can't get a handle on it. Well, let me find the scene. Well, it's about three quarters you know of the way through. It's right before right before. Oh, the, okay, I got I got it. I see? got it. Where, where he's he's sitting there crying over the body, and then he disappears. Mm -hmm. The page right before that, when he's wailing away at her, that's the same dude who's talking to him in the motel room. Yeah, the hair kind of gives it away, but yeah. Yep, it's parted the same way. The nose, the structure of the nose is the same. Well, it's because all Canadians look alike. <laughs> but he doesn't the, have uh, his toque on, though. <laughs> <laughs> the residents of Largemouth, they don't look that way. Yeah, it's just. But I'm not saying it's a it's a fault of the authors. It's this is giving me food for thought, and and I appreciate that. To, to make somebody think of, of a piece of fiction long after it, they've consumed it, that's a special See, little I, talent. I took it just to be... I, I, I love how we can all... Every one of us can take something completely different. Vin, Vince can read so much into it that he looks at it as, as being the same person. Jason has his theories, and, and, and Chris read it six weeks ago, so who knows how many he has. <laughs> yeah. but I, I'm, I'm looking Chris at has this, Alzheimer's. You know, so... God I'm, forbid, I'm look, dude. I'm looking at this, and I'm probably the one who's 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 so far off, the one who's most wrong. I'm just looking at this and reading it exactly as Jeff put it on the paper. At the end, when he's on the boat, because Marvel is trying to, to to get everybody off their trail, and they so get true. to the boat, and he <laughs> and and he uh, he he gets shot right off the boat into the water. Clothes are coming off. They never found. They only found the one body that he threw into the water because maybe the obviously the serum wore off. But they never found another body because you're not gonna find an invisible body in the lake. You're not gonna know where to look. You're not gonna see it. So, but they were both I, invisible I when they went into the lake. When they, they went they, into the lake, right? But, but the, after but he, he died, keeps, you're saying he keeps, he, right? He keeps injecting himself, so he's gonna stay invisible. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and and we don't know. Maybe after you know they keep looking. Maybe eventually they'll find a body, but as of right now, they don't find a body. That body, his body, Griffin, is still invisible. Kemp only had the one bit that was probably diluted in the alcohol that he drank in the hotel room when they were before they fought. Mm -hmm. And his body, either he didn't take to the serum or wore off, they found that body. They didn't find Griffin because he's still invisible, but he's dead at the bottom of the lake. That's I I took it exactly at face value. I wasn't it, to oh, me. Oh, okay. That's exactly how I read it, and and I mean it, it. It's got some noir feel to it, and and oh, I mean yeah. and and Renee and I will sit and we'll watch you know Bogan Bacall movies and 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 old old movies on Turner Classic movies, and and I love the little nuances and how things you know you you, you have that little. Uh, that, that twist at the end and everything's great and I, I'm following along and I'm like, okay, exactly. I know exactly how this is going to end and I'm, I'm there for the ride. But here, I'm, I'm not thinking anything more than what Jeff has on the page. Right. And you know, the, the butterfly is particularly poignant because if you look at the, the section where he's describing the metamorphosis and it's strange and beautiful and they show the cocoon, the cocoon resembles the bandages around his head, the way, the oh, way, it, the yeah, way, it, yeah, the way it's yeah. drawn. And then at the end, which the end of the story takes place in winter, obviously, and mm -hmm. the butterfly flits on, on Vicky's shoulder. 
a butterfly in winter. I mean, that yeah. that he's there's a a reason why that butterfly is there. Maybe where he's suggesting that there was some kind of strange and wonderful metamorphosis with the character, or a transformation took place. Obviously, a transformation in Vicky took place because she's changed in the wake of his well his passing. I, that, but that is that is, I think the um, the great little secret of the book. Mm-hmm. Who's the nobody? She is. She's the nobody. Yeah, she yeah. just says, "Yeah, I'm nobody." You know, that's. The, I think they were kindred spirits in a lot of ways. So, um, I think they were both the nobody. And there's even a little bit of tease to that. These uh, these great like 1950s, um, you know, comic uh, covers that uh, that Jeff works into the here, and uh, you know, with a great uh, EC, they're they're actually the <laughs> he even puts a a VC in the corner, Vertigo Comics with the yes. whole yeah. throw the throwback to, and yeah, yeah. Um, it goes up to the the 80s too. Like with oh, the, la- okay, the, the last yeah. cover is oh, okay. sixty cents. So well, yeah, I get you. It, but but the the VC one, the the EC homage is called Young Nobodies in Love, and I think that they are they're both the nobody in mm-hmm. in, in whatever way you want to look at it. But uh, I mean that's that's one of those you know really poignant moments when she's like, yeah, I'm nobody, and it's like, wow, okay, well this this book is as much about her as it is about the Invisible Man. And, yeah. And, uh, which was, it's, yeah. Yeah, and it's also a story of how quickly paranoia and fear spreads oh, through a, a small community, and just re- the, re- mm-hmm. replace, replace him with um, with a black man or a Muslim, or, oh, or yeah, exactly, you know, or yeah. any any anyone who's different than the majority of a small town. Right. Or, that's why I say yeah, or or xenophobia. Or any, you know. Yeah, yep. the fear yeah, of something exactly. different. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one thing too, I, I guess we should say, I don't know how many people are familiar with the source material, but Kemp and Griffin are the characters in Ishuel's original source material. That's the name of the, of the two main characters. So, I mean, it's a okay. direct homage to that. Um, so, you know, again, this is. I will say, Vince, as I'm thinking about it, kind of leafing through the book again, um, and it'd be interesting. I mean, I know Jeff listens, so Jeff, if you pop into the form or give us, it does. And as I'm looking through it, I guess it is possible that. That he he does at least leave the door open that the invisibility could be a psychosis. I mean, I as I'm looking, at it, I don't know that it's absolutely emphatically shown on the page that he's truly invisible. I mean, we know he thinks he's invisible. Yeah, but it's it, so, it's it's shown through his point of yes, view. Right. But you don't. No one else. It's it's not shown through anyone else's point of view. So karma for that because I had kind of read it much like David and just I came into it knowing it was invisible. Jeff's take on the Invisible Man and just read it. Okay, he's invisible because in in obviously the H U L he's he's really invisible. Um, That's so the beauty just, of this thing, though. Yeah, you I could... read it and thought, okay, oh, he's yes, invisible. Yeah. But now that you mention it, and I'm looking through it again, kind of looking to see if, and I don't, I could see where you're getting that from. It. I mean, there's right. not, maybe Jeff intentionally. There's well, that ambiguity there, you know. I think in a, in a couple of weeks we'll get a couple of drinks in him, and we'll we'll make him give us a mm-hmm. straight answer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey guys, it's Mike, comic book hero from the forums. I just wanted to call real quick to tell everybody about a book that they need to pick up. I know it's going to sound weird, but everybody needs to pick up Star Trek Nero number one. It's a new limited series from IDW. Just came out. And pretty much what it does is if you saw the movie, you know there's a whole period of time where we don't know what was going on with those with Nero and the rest of his Romulans. This book gives you that story. And, the, and if the first issue is any clue of how good this series is going to be, it's going to be awesome. If, if you haven't been reading 
IDW Star Trek books, then you are definitely missing out. I'm a huge Trekkie, and I've never really been happy with the comic book offerings that we've been given from practically every company, DC, Marvel, Malibu had it for a while, even Wildstorm, and none of them have been that great. But IDW, almost every series they've been putting out has been phenomenal, and they, they really love the license. I know Vince always talking about how IDW does Transformers so great. Well, they do Star Trek even better. They know what they're talking about. And in this new series, it's amazing. The art uh, is just fantastic. Uh, David Messina does the art. He's been doing a lot of these Star Trek series from IDW, and he just he he can do no wrong in my book. I would love to see him work for uh, like the big two. I'd love to see him do an X-Men book, or man, he could do a really great Batman book now that I think about it. But yeah, everybody needs to go out, pick up Star Trek Nero number one, and hey, while you're at it, go out and pick up some of the other Star Trek books, too, from IEW, especially Alien Spotlight Borg, probably one of my favorite single issues of all time. All right. But, hey, I love the show. Thanks for everything. And all hail King Dab. I mean, what do you guys think of the of the artistic stylings? I mean, I, I forget. I think you've all read Essex County, right? At least part of it. So it's, yep, yep, oh, okay. Absolutely. Well, then, David, I'm really curious. So what did you think then? Because this is not – I would say if, you've, if you're familiar with Essex County, this is – you know, this, the style is very similar. But, but right. if you haven't read that, what did you think of Jeff's style? And, and I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it. It, 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 I, it fits. I have absolutely – you know, I mean, it's it, – it reminds me of – see, I, I, I want to say underground, but not – not really comics with an X. It's just it's it's got that that very independent feel to it. I think it's great because if if you're somebody who's just big on you know I mean we we, we were talking about Eagle Sham last week and this is a complete 180 from that yeah. and and I mean and it's it's still beautiful. It still fits. I mean I don't know. It would be real cool to see Lemire do a Fantastic Four story, but I don't think I'm really in a rush to see Dale Eaglesham do the, the Invisible Man. No, that's a good point. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's, it's, no, it's it, just to say, it's the work of a confident, assured craftsman who just... It's brave. It's just, brave. Right, it's brave, yeah. but it's just said, fuck it, this is who I am, this and, is and my graphic identity, and I'm not going to tailor the way I work to your preconceived notions of what right. comics should be. Right. Yep. I love I the just, brush. I just, There's I a just weight to they, it. Oh yeah, yeah. I I just wish that he would put the uh, the straight edges down and stop being so rigid. <laughs> yeah, enough with, the, enough with the right angles, damn it. I, I don't I don't I don't know if there's a straight line in in the entire. But I don't know if I've ever seen yeah, there, a straight there, line from the buses and the buildings. There's a couple of straight lines, but not, uh, it, yeah, not, there's still to a little, little wiggle to it. Tightened up a little bit for Sweet Tooth. Very much so. Yeah, he has. I think so. Did you guys get um, a David Lynch vibe off this at all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, well, um, Gus Van Zant. Honestly, sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's his uh, his graphic novels kind of almost read like a good Gus Van Zant movie in the in the mm-hmm. in just how sparse they are. But yeah, there's some Lynchian vibe to this for sure. I mean, I don't. You know, uh, if I if, if memory serves, I think uh, Jeff went to. Went to film school, I believe. I think he, he studied uh, that was what he went to college for. So um, I know he takes a lot of influences from filmmakers. I, I don't know if, if in this case Lynch or Vincent were in his mind here, but I'm sure they have to have. You know, I'm sure he has to be fans of their work. Yeah. Well, every comic artist to a certain point has a, the eye of a cinematographer. You just yeah. you have to. Yeah. Well, his, I mean, his his work is very cinematic. I mean, the, they they have 
a, a very movie, you know, in film feel to them. They they feel cinematic. You know, it's, it's telling. He's telling a larger story here. Beautiful stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's hard to I it's love it's the blue. oh the blue is great yeah the blue <laughs> overtones and that's different I mean in, in Essex County it's 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 just blacks and grays mostly but and that's it uses this blue overtone um, it, it's really <laughs> I can't help but read this and and it's just it juxtaposes it against um, some of the comics that I read you know superhero comics especially some of the ones that are like heavily ultra detailed and painted and just just about the skill the difference between being able to tell a story with your artwork being able to illustrate really pretty detailed pictures it's such two different Mm -hmm. things you know uh and i wish you know i wish we got more of this and less of the other frankly sometimes but i understand why we get more of the other in the in the mainstream books because that's what sells but but uh but this is just it's if you think about if you actually look at what's on the page, you think to yourself, "There's some panels. There's not a lot there." And Jeff even says, "You know, his style, his 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 minimal line work and panels, is what allows him to be fast. I mean, he's a pretty fast fast creator." Um, and and uh, it, but God, I just wish we saw more of that in telling stories. That it would be great to see, you know, Jeff or some of these other guys that that, that have similar similar stylings take take a crack at some of the you know the books that are at the top of the charts. I'll tell you what, people go out there and buy Sweet Tooth, and you will see more of it. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, two thumbs up for me on this one. Obviously, um, I, I would have yeah. been shocked if I was dis- if I if I didn't love it. Um, I've heard some mention, probably fairly, that this is not. This is obviously a a a, a homage to prior art that Jeff's uh, adapting, so it doesn't have necessarily the deep emotional impact that that Essex County did uh, on the whole. And I would probably agree with that. But I think that. It just describing it that way in and of itself sells it short because again, to me, having been familiar with H.G. Wells's source material, I certainly think that this has a very emotional, uh, personal element to it that is directly tied into Jeff's viewpoint, which is you know the small rural town and obviously Vicky's and role in it and stuff. So I, I think that he definitely interlaces a lot of what makes his work his own. So I I, I don't think it's see I I think that they both have similar emotional impact but it's just that Essex County was was more immediate mm-hmm. whereas this the seeds of the of the impact are planted really deep and it's going to take a while for that stuff to break through the surface you, Essex County's a tearjerker in a sense it's very emotional this is emotional but it's a different kind it's a more subtle ambiguous kind of right well and he's because he's not a hero I mean the the Right, but He's the here. situations I, I, I'm, I'm speaking about, it's just the interplay between the characters. is You don't have that surface emotion that you had in Essex County, where mm-hmm. it was really heartbreaking at, at one point. There's not that instant emotional gratification, where in this one, it's taking a while for it to brew. But it's there. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like a... a well, we talked about you know Filthy Rich and, and, and Parker you know, last week. And, you know, it's just like how much, you know, emotional involvement do you have in those, you know, some, but, you know, it's still, it's, it's a crime noir or noir themed book. And, you know, this has that, that kind of same feel to it. I mean, this is a (laughs) small town Canadian supernatural noir book. But just think about it for a, a minute. The year we've had so far in graphic novels, Oh, it's been a, yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. sure. This is one for the books: Asterios Polyp, Filthy Rich, Dark Entries, Parker, The Nobody. Uh, it, they could stop right now, and this would be a landmark year. And we still have the rest of the year to go. I, I can't believe oh, yeah. I've already read 
and and have things on in a box next to me that I'll be reading that chances are are definitely going to be Eisner nominated. And I'm actually ahead for once, and I'm reading them now before they're nominated. Sure, mm-hmm. agreed. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah. it's a it's, great year. I've already heard people referring to this as you know the year of the graphic novel, and I I don't know if I if I go that far, but um, you know you never we're know. We're getting there. We're making well, a lot yeah, more. You've got Matt, it's, Matt King's it's, vertical novel coming out still this yep. year. You've yeah, got, you never you never know until years later the impact of a year in anything. But right. uh, go ahead, Jason. You got what, Matt Matt Kent. Well, no, so you got is Matt that, Kent. You've got another o- mm-hmm. Vertigo Crime OGN coming out, um, which was solicited in this month's previews. Chill. Uh, There's a lot in the, down the pipe. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the box, can I do a little promo for something that I'm sure the old timers are going to want to read? Preach it. It was one of those magic boxes that I got from DCBS this month. I got the two Vertigo crime books. But if you are a student of comic book history and you've been a little bit on the fence about picking up the comics journal, pick up issue 299. There is a extremely long investigation into the greatest anthology never published. Uh, It's called The Someday Funnies. And the uh, article is subtitled, How Michael Choquette Almost Assembled the Most Stupendous Comic Book in the World. Listen to the participants that did work for this anthology. Harvey Kurtzman, Jack Kirby, Federico Fellini, Art Spiegelman, Wally Wood, Bill Griffith, Don Martin, Vaughn Bode, William Burroughs, Michael O'Donohue, Roy Thomas, Sergio, uh, Jan Wenner, Gahan Wilson, C.C. Beck, R.O. Blackman, Barry Windsor Smith, Guido Kripax, Ralph Steadman, Steve Engelhart, Salvador Dali, Arnold Roth, Archie Goodwin, Sherry Flanagan, Mobius, Denny O'Neill, Tom Wolfe, Will Eisner, Frank Zappa, and more. This is this no, is and this is no, it's not a hoax. Gonna happen. Dude, there <laughs> are some dude who was like, "This is what I." This is the guy who's at the bar who's like, and then and then and it was this big, and I'm telling, and he's going to talk about all these people that that all these creators that are, the guys around the table like is about, and he's going to be in it, and he's going to do something for me. He's going to be. It's like, no, I don't think so, dude. There are reproductions of artwork from that people from that list that I have never seen before, including a Jack Kirby panel. Only great in someone's mind. If this was ever put to paper, it would never be as awesome as anybody would wish it were. Uh, one right. one panel from a two-page Jack Kirby comic. Uh, it's called The Ballad of Beardsley Bullfeather, or Tune In, <laughs> Cop Out, and Drop Up. It's it's, <laughs> it's I, You know, I didn't read the article yet, because obviously I just got this yesterday, and it's a very, very long article. the August issue? August 2009, yes. And... There's images from all the people in that list, so I don't know if it's real. I mean, yeah, it does seem too good to be true. It really yeah. does. But he, he, where awesome. did where did this art come from? I, I'm not I'm not saying he couldn't find there, things. Or, there's or a there pull quote here. Before, okay. Zappa, who was in a wheelchair recovering from injuries sustained when a fan had pushed him off a stage two months earlier, promised to write a strip and have Cal Schenkel who did many of his album covers, illustrated. Have you ever seen Cal Schenkel's work? He did, sure the, he did the cover artwork for the Grand Wazoo. The, the man, he obviously did a lot of, of Zappa's covers. Fantastic unsung artist. I can only imagine what this friggin' thing would have looked like. I know. But it was to be called Someday Funnies. And if you want to learn more about it, pick up Comics Journal 299. 
Awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it more, I guess, once I've read the freaking article. Can't wait. <laughs> but I just cool. saw it, and I got so excited. Like, holy crap. And the front cover of the journal is a montage of all these little tiny panels from the works that I guess were eventually slated to be published in this Someday Funnies anthology. Cool beans. See, that, that gets is. my motor running. Yeah. yeah Burroughs? Holy crap. Or your mother. You know, I, I just want to go right back to the nobody for a second. And I was oh, cool. Through it, and I see it's the end of the second chapter. And okay, so there are there are obviously, or at least to me, twists that that Jeff will throw in there. You get to the the last page of the second chapter after he throws the body in the lake. The last three panels are of Henry, and the very last panel is a close up on his eye, and he seems to be a little shocked about what is going on. He doesn't really look so much in the second panel. Uh-huh. But the third is what really gets his attention. So that is open to interpretation for me. It's like did 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 a body float back? I mean I don't I don't know what but right. and, and then so of course, you know, Henry runs to, to, to the to the deputy, but so of course, obviously time is passed by the third from the from the splash, something there was something of a physical nature that did happen there. Whether yes. he threw an invisible body into the lake or something into the lake. And Teddy? Is his name Teddy? I oh, think the he, old man? Oh, the, yeah. I, 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 his last name is Henfrey. Yeah, Teddy Henfrey. He saw something that shocked him. You're right. It is open to interpretation. That's what. That's why I was jonesing over this thing because yeah, you know me and perception. I'm, I'm all over that. And you can... Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to, to see this. The obvious, if you want to just take it wrote from the obvious there's an invisible dude goes to a small town and this is what he creates in his wake the book works exceptionally well just on that level you want to read a little bit more into it fine it works that well too <laughs> go jeff Bam. go jeff yes yes and vicky's father reminds me of harvey peeker for me for some really? reason. really yeah okay yeah he just has that that uh harvey peeker pecker yeah peeker. i can see it i can see it yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello guys, this is Whitehead Customs, the Maskatron on the forums. Um, I just had a little thing happen to me that I was wanting to let you guys know about and see if maybe y'all could give me some input on it. Uh, I live in Mississippi, which is like a third world country compared to the rest of the United States. I do uh, have a local comic shop here. And uh, it's in a town called Iuka. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I've been a regular customer there for about six months. You know, I've got a good pull list there. I buy, you know, a lot of 60s Marvel, stuff like that, Essentials, DC Showcase, stuff like that. And I'm probably the best customer the guy had, to be honest. Um, here lately, he's been just hounding me when I walk into the store to basically buy stuff. I've been paying him... Uh, like a dollar each for comics that don't even have covers on them, uh, you know, just reader stuff. The cheapest thing that he had in the store was like three ninety nine, four ninety nine. Uh, he doesn't even have a dollar box. He doesn't have a fifty cent box. Everything is cover price. Um, most of he doesn't even have any cover price issues. Most of the time they're even higher than actual cover price the day they come out. Well, the last time I went in there, he just really hounded me, telling me that if he didn't come up with uh, $350, he wasn't going to be able to get my order in for the next week. Well, I told him, I said, listen, I, I have no problem buying some stuff from you, but, you know, make me some deals. 
And he shows me this box that is filled with very, very nice old X-Men, old Amazing Spider-Man, old, just really old stuff, and will not let me look at it. He tells me that it's his private collection and that he will not let me look at it. And this just kind of ticks me off seeing, you know, I'm spending some good money with this guy. And, you know, I kind of consider him, you know, not really a friend, but at least, you know, my local comic shop owner. So that kind of ticks me off. So I got home and started looking up ways that I could buy my comics. And, you know, you guys recommend DCBS. And um, I looked there, but I sell on eBay for a living. And I just kind of got to looking around on eBay and, I found this guy on there, and I just got my first shipment in, and I just wanted to share with you what I just got. Hang on, it's going to take me a second to get my package here. Okay, I've got Red Red Robin, number one. Batman and Robin, number one. Number two, Wednesday Comics, one, two, and three. Uh, Spider-Man, 600. Incredible Hulk 600, and he sent me Blackest Night Zero plus Blackest Night Number One. I got every single one of these books for under $20, including shipping. So, yeah, I didn't get them the day that they come out, but I saved a ton of money, didn't even have to leave my house, and I guess I'm helping to support the hobby. I don't know. I just like your guys' input on what I did, and am I hurting or helping the hobby? Thanks, guys. All right, David, what do you want to talk about? The story hasn't finished yet, and I'm 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 sure we're so tired of talking about Marvel, so I won't talk about Utopia. But oh, uh, dude, but all right, no, well, talk yeah, about you it. You know, to, go ahead. About, I'm a little interested in that. Okay, all right, dude, Asteroid M, come on. That's right. I, you know, there are times where you're reading something and you know, or even watching something, but. So, and you could hit me over the head and I'm still not going to see a lot of things in, in comic books today because I'm just too absorbed into it and along for the ride. But I knew exactly where they were going by the, I guess, middle of, of chapter five, the Dark Avengers number eight. I mean, I'm, I'm glad the way it happened, especially you read that one, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So, so as soon as, so, so you have, you have Logan's son all big and bad about to throw down with, uh, with the X-Men and, and Namor and Emma basically just put him down real quick. Like a rabid dog. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and then they, they go ahead and do what I knew was going to happen from the get-go because as, and, but at that point, I didn't care. I was just, I was along for the ride for this storyline. They're obviously right. going somewhere. This, this didn't feel like this wasn't something that they could put in a couple of one shots and, and, and make you buy more. It, this, this was, this was a crossover. It, to me, it feels like it's a logical step to where the X-Men and I guess for, for Osborne's downfall to continue. So it kind of, it, it made sense. But even if, even though I knew what was going to happen by the end of this little dark X-Men storyline, I was, so happy to see it happen, and and I, I I didn't care how obvious it was. As uh, as I've been getting a lot of shit this week for uh, for skipping our our show last week, but somehow managing to find time to record uh, an episode of High Fanboy. Uh, I talked. Yeah, about- what's that shit about? <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm you know, you're freelance. Get in where Diver- you're Diversification, diversification. That's um, right. 
No, I, uh, I I talked about this uh, this on uh, on iFanboy, um, and, and so I'm going to be repeating the point if people listen to that episode. But um, I agree with you, David. I mean, I haven't I wasn't vibing on Utopia so much in terms of uh, up until Dark Avengers Eight. I mean, I kind of was like, okay, you know, this is it's got its moments. I mean, I'm always a sucker for the for the mutants, but then um, I Dark Avengers Eight got me. It uh, the, the Everything that happened, I guess we're avoiding the spoilers, but but everything that happened, uh, I geeked out about all of it. Um, I, I'm I'm I love that Emma isn't you know turning heel again because mm-hmm. that I, I really have come to enjoy her and I think she's a great uh, foil to Scott. Um, I I with you it was great to see Dawkins put in his place like the little bitch that he is. <laughs> um, it's and great to see like, I mean, Yeah, absolutely, Cloaking. And, and it's bit. It, I think it's cool that 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 Namor. I know some people are like, oh, is, since when is he a big mutant? But I think that's the point. They're they're making the point he's always been a mutant, but he's never really thought of himself as a mutant. And even and 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 even for those people that, that do ask that question or are wondering why, Norman even raises that point in exactly. Dark Avengers number in, in the uh, in the Dark X Men Beginnings number one. Well, wasn't that the uh, subtitle on John Byrne's Namer series, Marvel's First Mutant? Yes. I think so. Um, but no, I enjoyed it, and I, I think the status quo is, is pretty pretty badass. And I think it, uh, I guess, further establishes that Cyclops is, you know, for I know some people think he's acting quote unquote out of character, but he's got his shit correct. He's 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 thought of a lot of angles here. He's he's not fucking around. He's he's protecting a race, and he's willing to do a lot of shit to do it. I mean, he's he's not fucking around. I, I love how he's got the whole team. He's he's, he's got it. Well, not the whole, the whole team, but he's got he's got a band of mutants with him, and he's having them watch the Dark X Men fight. And and we're just calling him the Dark X Men. Obviously, when Norman puts them together, he doesn't refer to them that way. He's you know he gives you your Avengers and he and he's giving you the X Men. But for publishing purposes, obviously, we're going to throw the dark in front of it. But Cyclops has. Has, has a group of mutants with him and says, watch them fight. And he says, okay, that's how we're going to take them down. You see how they fight together, but they're all alone. And that's how we're going to take them down. And then I think it was Iceman that was like, well, how are we going to take on the Avengers? And Scott's like, well, Bobby, what, what makes you think you're the team I'm putting together to take on the Avengers? That's right. <laughs> I'm like, damn, he's got Slow your roll, son. everything masked Stick out. To your job. Awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. My, my only issue with it uh, is that I thought this is Marvel assuming that everyone that's reading uncanny must be reading dark Avengers because it's a crossover. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe not 85% of people are reading both, but I thought that considering so much X-Men centric stuff that is pretty important happened in dark Avengers eight. I thought that was a little wonky. I mean, oh, some okay. major shit happens in dark Avengers eight for the mutant world that really should have been an uncanny because I mean it, I have to imagine there's at least a, a subset of people that are just reading the well it, the it, it it probably helps that Fraction wrote the entire event and yeah. this did yeah. not rate the two issues of Dark Avengers it probably only helps that it's only two issues so if you don't read Uncanny and you only read Dark Avengers then you're only going in for two issues if you want the whole story and vice versa and, and the two one shots that open and close the thing those that follow mutants or are into the new mutant status quo, they probably are going to get the two issues. I thought that, uh, I, I know he's capable, but I was, I was very happy to see Luke Ross, even though there were a myriad of anchors on, on the dark Avengers issues, hold his own, especially when drawing Emma or, or dagger. I, I thought he did great when, when, uh, pairing with the Dodsons on the uncanny X-Men issues. I had no problem with his Norman. I had no problem with 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 
with any of the characters in in the Dark Avengers books, how how they were presented. I thought, you know, I mean, and and Norman is fuming over how he's being. Um, I'm basically how 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 Cyclops is getting in his ass. I mean, this is he he hasn't fumed this much over Spider Man over Peter Parker, and he's just he's, he's cursing the dude's name, and he's just like, "You'll be sorry he ever came crossed me." And oh, it's 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 just good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very very impressed. I, I wasn't I wasn't sure what to expect, but uh, it it I'm very happy. I'm checking it mm-hmm. out. And it's cool. it's also really fascinating to see that Scott is with every step quite literally now following the path that Magneto followed. Sounds being <laughs> right. I mean, think about where we are now after the end of. I mean, he we're, we're basically where Magneto was when he was sort of making his big move. I mean, you know, Scott's where Mag, Scott is taken. He's following Magneto's path and issuing Xavier's dream. I mean, that's really what we're kind of at now, which is fascinating. I'm going to balance the gushing love you guys have for Utopia with a little bit of stay away from this at all costs when you're done. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we're done. I mean, we're okay. Defend I, yourselves. I, I bought the uh, X-Men Endangered Species hardcover for five bucks at Wizard World Chicago. Right. 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 It was nice seeing it, and it's written by a host of of. Great yeah. Marvel writers, not uh, not the least of which is Matt Fraction himself. Oh. Endangered species, really? I yes. thought that was mostly a Carrie thing, but you're probably right. Okay, oh, yeah, Car- right. Carrie and Fraction wrote, uh, and Scott Eaton did the art, and the, the yes. art was was very good on 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 the entire series. I guess it was short stories in the back of they were the, the backups of the mutant books, right? It was nice seeing the Dark Beast again. Mm. Well, an enjoyable character for me. Uh, overall, the story's poop. Okay, and, and and that's as nice as I can put it. It's a long, drawn out yeah, exercise. Yeah. No, I can see that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Species, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah, yeah, it's Basically, just Hank trying to find a cure. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and it's like here, Hank checks out this lead. Oh, nothing came of that. Hank, <laughs> Hank check, checks out another league. Oops, nothing came of that. Yeah. You no, know, and he's he's all over the map, willy nilly, wandering around trying to find a cure or a uh, a stopgap to um, fend off this receding mutant population. And in the end, he's in exactly the same spot as he was in right. when, when he started off. If you wanted to say it's a bleak outlook for the mutants, you could have did it a lot quicker and a lot more effectively. Nice art. The the writers did what they could with the story, but all in all, uh, no. I, I could have read something much more enjoyable in in its stead. But yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think again, that was a, a backup. That was almost like a fifth week type of thing to try and get everybody to read all the Yeah, not good. I, l- I really like the Dark Beast, too. I love the bloodthirstiness of the character. And he's in Utopia, yeah. Cool. He's working for yeah. Normie. And you know, I'm going to uh, have to eventually buy Dark X-Men because rumor has it that Nate Gray is going to be a player. Well, he's not yet. There's going to be a, a Dark X Men series, right? Oh, well, there was the, there's this three issue miniseries that's basically an anthology that. Uh, well, there's a Dark Dark something team. coming up with Namor and the Dark Beast on the front and some other characters. Whatever right, series okay. spins out of this Utopia thing, Nate Gray is going to be a a big player. Oh, okay, right? okay, so, cool. yeah, Interesting. which is Cable Junior. So. Yes, the the Dark Beast. That's a Morrison. Um, character basically right so it was no that's an age of apocalypse character. AOA, yeah 
Oh, okay, okay. I, I it's pre-onslaught. Yeah, or no, yeah, they, onslaught, yeah. I, they, I had uh, checked out, but um, um, David had posted the TFA 60% off Denton Scratch wrapped up here at the end of uh, uh, October, or at the end of, I'm sorry, the end of August. Um, I picked up all of the uh, new X-Men trades from the Morrison run. Oh, nice. Nice. Wow, yeah, yeah, no all kidding. Six, Yep, all of them 60% off. So I was like, like score! Goodness. You're not kidding. We have a couple of uh, emails before we move on. <coughs> okay. One of them requires Chris's participation. Again. Uh-oh. This is from Jackson WMA. Didn't leave a name, but Jackson's part of it, I'm assuming. Uh, he said, thanks for the piece you did on Skywald Comics. I, like yourself, am a collector in my 50s and have fond memories of those books. They have been too long out of print. When you mentioned that the Saga of the Victims was available as a single volume, I was thrilled. The art by Suso was great on that series. I plan to buy it as soon as possible, and I will put the link to the head press section of their store where you can get the book. It's currently, I think, 30% off. You can get it. It's in pound sterling, but it's uh, 6.99 pound sterling, whatever that translates to. Also, thanks for mentioning Dalgoda, another mm-hmm. lost classic that a lot of young collectors have yet to discover. That's here's right. A, here's a, the Chris part. P.S. Tell Chris that Richard Stark was the pen name of Donald Westlake. Yes. He was struggling for that on a recent AC. I, and I found it. I ran up to the counter, and it's just one. It was one of those things that is on the tip of your tongue, and you know mm-hmm. that you know it, and you just can't. <laughs> you can't grapple it out of your alcohol-soaked brain. And uh, yes, Donald Westlake is the uh, is the the real the real life name, or was the real life name of Richard Stark. Right. So there you go. So thank you, Jackson mm-hmm. W W M A. We also got another one uh, from Trevor Chapman. Another Canadian. He says, I'm really glad you got to discussing this issue as it really made me want to read it. He's talking about Fantastic Four 570. Years ago, it was the Wade Raringo FF that helped to bring me back to comics, and I stopped buying the FF, but not lots of other comics, around issue 516, and I haven't looked at much since, though I really enjoyed Roberto Aguirre Sacasa's Marvel Knights 4 series and was very disappointed when it ended. And I have all of the Ultimate FF comics. Anyways, this is a really good issue, a great jumping on point, and I'm going to give FF a try once again. But here's my question. In all your analysis of the issue, I noticed that you failed to make any point of the fact that, one, there are three founders, and two, two of them are wearing the Infinity Gauntlet on their right hand, but one has it on his left hand. There has to be some significance to both of these, and I'm sure there is, but I'm just going to take a wait and see, because yeah. we, we can assume and postulate as much as we want, but mm. from one image, it you know that's really not all that much to go on, but it was kind of cool. The switch was neat. Uh, he says, keep up the great podcasts and looking forward to your next episode, and if it makes you feel any better... I may not like the same type of comics you do, but I sure as hell love your passion. Keep it up. Trevor Chapman. And he he forgot a name there when he was talking about that uh, Marvel Knights series. You can't mention that without talking about Jay Lee. Uh, Not that issue. No, yeah, he's talking about the four. The one with the The, big number four on the cover. Right, right. Right. Uh, Which one am I thinking? I'm thinking, which one am I thinking of? You may be thinking of Marvel Knights. Was it one, two, three, uh, four? Or, uh... 
that was, was Morrison, right? Morrison that and Jay Lee. Yeah. That, okay, that was okay. That's, this was the second non-going that they gave to Roberto because Wade came back to the monthly uh, Fantastic right, okay. Four. It started off with Steve McNiven art, and then it ended up going to a few different artists. There was never really any any major consistency, except for some artists trying to use the actors from the movie as the Fantastic Four. It was also where Reed was broke and and had to become a teacher. Uh, it was, it it was also a, the a one series. featuring that bootylicious awesome. Frank Cho cover awesome. image of Susie picking up a quarter off the floor. Oh, you big old. <laughs> it is, uh, <laughs> um, one great thing, and it's not it's it's by it's not a selling point at least to me. But what was really cool when they uh, when the Wade and Warengo and and Kessel era of uh, the Fantastic Four took off. First issue was only nine cents. I remember oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a, a neat little promotion. I think it did some good, but... Can I sell too many comics at nine cents? <laughs> oh, no, the <laughs> retailers aren't going to... And, and uh, if I remember correctly, it was around the same time DC did uh, the ten cent adventure for it, Batman it or the, Superman. Uh, Wayne Fugitive, and it yeah, kicked off that right. storyline. Ten cents, and that's why Marvel went down a penny to to, to, yeah. to, to fight him. That's funny. Yes, indeedy. What's up, guys? This is Doug. I uh, just want to call and say you got a great show. Um, you guys are hilarious to listen to, and um, that's about it. I had something I was going to talk about. I totally forgot it. It's been a long week at work. Oh, anyway, Chris, go Bears. All right. See you guys. Hey guys, this is Doug again. Um, forgot what I was going to talk about, but now I remembered. Um, basically, the rise, the super fast rise of DC Comics, um, the books with Blackest Night, Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, things that are going on in Superman. Uh, I just read the Superman Brainiac and Superman uh, New Krypton Volume 1 uh, over this past week when I was on vacation. And I got to say, especially that Superman Brainiac hardcover. Man, that's probably the best Superman story I've read in a very long time. Um, it's that Gary Frank art. Oof. Um, anyway, and the Batman books are, are interesting again. Um, Grant Morrison's kicking butt on that. And uh, I don't know. It just like, seems like you know, in a matter of a month, maybe two months, DC is back on track, you know, after kind of uh, their, hit, their little uh, hit and misses with uh, Countdown and it's Count down a final crisis, and then you know, according to some, final crisis. But I don't know. Their books are worth talking about again. Um, you know, I'm a big DC fan for whatever reason. I've always kind of uh, uh, liked those characters better. And I can't really put a thumb on it on why. But anyway, it's good to have them back and be on top and be interesting. And um, you know, any good comics is it's good for me. So I'll uh, take it easy, guys, and um, later on. Can I gush a little bit? Oh, you please you, do. You, uh, did you stop? Uh, I spent a nice chunk of my weekend with the uh, works of a single writer. Oh, yeah? Which writer? Yes. I, I, William <laughs> Shakespeare. No, and I just oh. have to say, after all is said and done, oh, Fred Van Lente, how I love thee. Oh, nice. We're going to talk about action philosophers. I love this man. No, we're not. Comics? I'm not complicated. Yeah. No, no. Although, first oh, incredible Hercules. The dude is everywhere like the swine flu these days. He he's writing portions of Amazing Spider-Man. 
That's making right. a making a badass chameleon. He's doing Hercules with Greg Pak. Also, as we alluded to before, the Savage She-Hulk backup in Incredible Hulk, which is really uh. cool. I like this character a lot. Uh, he did X-Men Noir. And for Evil Twin Comics, like Jason and Chris said, he does Comic Book Comics, which is a smorgasbord of comic book history, every issue, mm-hmm. uh, produced with co-creator Ryan Dunleavy. And he does the riotous, righteous action philosophers with Dunleavy. But... I read Marvel Zombies 3, Modox 11, which I'm going to have to save for next time, but uh, because there's just too much goodness, I can't gloss over it. Uh, I read the first issue of Marvel Zombies Return that came out today. And, and I got to say, as much as I enjoyed Kirkman's first two Marvel Zombie series, Fred Van Lente has kicked it up a bunch of notches. He has taken an already solid concept and made it so much better. Have any of you read Marvel Zombies 3? I, 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 started I stopped to... after one. Really? Same here. Yeah. yeah. It was... Aww. The first one was fun. I enjoyed it. And that's all as much as I needed. Okay. Da- yeah. David, I know David is digging on one and two, but you haven't read three either. I, I started three. I didn't... Uh, I think after... Uh, Aaron and uh, Jocasta. I'm just... (laughs) That's as far as I'm going. After they got together, that was... So I think I read the first two issues. Okay. For Chris and Jason, what Van Lanty has done as he's dispensed with the surviving cast members from the first two minis, not going to focus on that. And instead, he's shifted the spotlight to the 616 universe. And I think because of this, the series benefits immeasurably from this decision. It, it, it's an, and it's ironic, too, because as he's narrowed the focus to what we know, he's expanded upon Kirkman's original concept. I'll tell you why. Volume 3 features the unlikely hero and, David, the one-time Bullpen Bulletin's poster boy, Mr. <laughs> Aaron Stack, X-51. a.k.a. X-51, a.k.a. Machine Man. I know how much Tom likes it when people say a.k.a. So I've littered this review with a.k.a.s. And Tom doesn't like it when people say a.k.a.? Well, he makes fun. A.k.a. Well, yeah, what doesn't Tom make fun? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm uh, using that. And, and there's, there's a <laughs> revelation. That's a friend Van Lenti uh, creation, by the way, of a new Marvel Universe alphabet agency, which we all love the alphabet agency. Oh, that's right, yes. This yes. one's known as Armor, <laughs> A-R-M-O-R. It's the Alternate Reality Monitoring and Operational Response Unit. And who's How the cool shield that? in charge? Charles Little Sky. He's got, he's got a connection with, uh, I don't know. I wasn't that lodged into the Marvel stuff, so it could be. What was I going to say? Fred Van Lanty has taken out his little corner of the Marvel Universe where he's, he's coming up with these concepts. And if, if you read a bunch of different titles, you know that armor just doesn't appear in Marvel Zombies 3. It's in the backup feature of his She-Hulk in, in Incredible Hulk. It's in something else, too. Oh, okay. that, uh, what, is, what did I just read armor in? So he's starting to build up the, uh, the uh, Van Lanty verse. Yeah. Yes, that's really neat. Hey, if you're in charge of creating this intellectual property, do it. He's he's staking out his own little uh, corner. How kick-ass was the uh, the cliffhanger at the end of the first issue? Of, Very of kick-ass. Three. Okay. Right. Just checking. But, <laughs> but what armor is, it's this impenetrable 
research base that's buried beneath the Earth's crust, and the only way in and out is by teleportation. That's how secure this facility is. There, there's no way in, there's no way out except by teleporting in, which is kind of perfect uh, of a plot device for a series like this because, wouldn't you know it, an alternate reality does intersect with the 616, namely da -da, the universe of the Marvel Zombies, which just so happens to pop up at the nexus of all realities. Where's that, David? Leave it, man. It's in Citrusville, Florida, also <laughs> the home of who? Oh, those uh, the, the initiative down there. Um, no, it's the home of the man thing. Yeah. Right, but but who's who's in the uh, the Aquarian? Um, right, right. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Conquistador. Uh, Jennifer. Um, Jennifer Kale. Thank you. The realities intersect, and Van Lenti creates a different a bunch of different terms for different types of realities. There's perpendicular realities that intersect with the 616 at one point. There's wave realities that kind of intertwine with, with the Marvel Universe realities. That's what the Marvel Zombies u Universe is. It's a wave reality that just so happens to bump up against ours, and when it happens, it gives a couple of badass nasties the opportunity to send operatives over to our reality and try and infiltrate yet another universe and who makes the jump but deadpool yeah zombie deadpool and when he does he runs into a 50 states initiative team consisting of steve gerber's wondar aka aquarian and gerber's also responsible for the nexus of all reality so if you're a gerber fan check the series out there's a ton of gerber stuff in here the conquistador jennifer kale another gerber creation who is cousin to Johnny Blaze and Danny Ketch. And she uh. also, yes, she also has connections to the Man-Thing and Doctor Strange. Mm. And Deathlock Light, who we know as Siege. <laughs> <laughs> Shit hits the fan. Zombie Deadpool takes out this initiative team, rips them apart with the exception of Jennifer Kale, who survives the incident. Um, Wandar's infected. Siege is ripped apart, turns into a zombie. The Conquistador, even though he has that holy water shit flowing through his veins, is totally decimated. And this comes to the attention of research scientist Michael Morbius, a.k.a. the Living Vampire, who is, who's working in the armor base to uh, quickly quell this spread of this pathogen. But he realizes that uh, the zombie with a mouth targeted superhumans for a reason. And this is where Van Lenti kicks it up a couple notches. The virus targets superhumans for a reason because they're the most effective and the quickest way to disperse what the zombies call the hunger gospel. See, it's elevated to the level of a religion now. It's really neat. But uh, not unlike in the past, Morbius needs human blood, in this instance, from one of the unturned humans in the Marvel Zombies Earth. So he needs a human that hasn't been bitten, is, is clear of the virus, in order to make an antidote to bring back to our universe to hopefully stop this zombie infestation. So who do they call to, to get the job done? X-51, who initially doesn't want to do it. But because they're sending Jocasta into this unmapped universe, dangerous place, he decides to go because I guess X-51 has a hard-on for Jocasta. When this happened, I have no idea. Wouldn't you? 
But, yeah, when he actually says that to her in the series, he's like, you're basically naked. You know, you're a naked yeah. robot. Why don't, you, why don't you cover up a little bit? But um, So the both of them make the jump to the uh, Marvel Zombies universe, and that's when the poop literally hits the fan. X-51 encounters zombified versions of the Inhumans, including a zombie lockjaw, stilt man, ghost rider, a dumbass absorbing man, a zombie scorpion, and a host of alternate reality Marvel heroes and villains. On that level alone, this series is so cool. He runs into a zombie version of geneticist Miles Warren, also known as the Jackal, mm -hmm. whose job it is to grow cloned humans to feed his zombie brethren. Right, right. Come on, do you not geek out over this? That's, this is, is gold. Maybe I'm just sense. maybe I'm just easily pleased. I don't know, but I <laughs> when I encounter something like this, my initial reaction is, "Oh my God, this is like the best what if story ever!" And and you get Marvel Universe proper added to it. On top of that, there's a zombie kingpin who still, even though he's dead, rules the roost. But he 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 protects the well being of his uninfected wife Vanessa of course and does. how he does, he does yes but how he does this is oh, he Jesus. he grants <laughs> zombies time in this meat farm that Miles Warren has created for however many cans of food they bring him to feed his wife he'll grant zombies time in this arena of it's like a, an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's like, uh, I think early on, the scorpion brings him like six cans of cat food. So he's like, I will give you 20 minutes in the arena. So they can go chow down for 20 minutes. That's <laughs> gold. It's gold, Jerry. Since alternate realities are basically armors, stock, and trade, it gives Van Lenny the ability to twiddle a little bit with the established Marvel characters. And he has this alternate reality Captain America who resides in the armor uh, facility, but it, it's not Captain America. It's a Captain America from a universe where the Aztecs never went away, and he's called <laughs> no, he's called Captain Mexica, and his shield is is his shield is fashioned after the Aztec calendar. He's got a cactus on his on his chest. Where, no, really, he's got a he's got a cactus where the star is, and these huge, big ass gold earrings like the Aztecs wore. Oh my god! You, you have to read this. But, Stay tuned next week as Vince breaks down the joys of Marvel apes. No, I don't think I'll be going there. And and they give the uh, the universe. It's it's from Earth fifteen nineteen, where the I love Aztec can be dismissive of Marvel apes having not read it. It's yet. like oh, I would never read that. In the midst of, of gushing orgasmically about Marvel zombies. You, uh, unlike a lot of fans, I have never tired of the zombies. I don't think I ever will. Uh, vampires, I could not care less. Zombies, zombies are always cool with me. I don't know. I don't know why. But Van Lenti also is the 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 brilliant thing about this, it's excessively violent and and gory, but he kind of intercuts all this gruesomeness with some really well-timed comedic bits. And, and one of the funniest involves a conversation between the Kingpin and Black Bolt. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Black Bolt can now speak, thanks to the necrotizing effects of the zombie infection. Right. He, the destructive properties of his vocal cords are gone. And... In the process, he's transformed into a chatty Kathy. 
He just goes, <laughs> he goes on and on and on about the stupidest things. And Kingpin's like, please shut up. But I mean, oh, that you, is funny. See, that's Van Lenty. Van Lenty has this knack for humor. That yeah, they were really smart to put him on this book. Be- although Kirkman's version was kind of funny, this it, it's it's played straight for the most part. But there's instances where you just you have to laugh out loud. You, you really do. I think September should be Van Lenty month here on eleven o'clock. And I think it will be because, like I said, I'm not going to get around to talking about. Modoc. I'll save that for next week. But for those interested, this is drawn by Kev Walker, who it should be a familiar name to those who play Magic the Gathering or any of the oh, game, the Games Workshop Warhammer 40k games. He's a, a staple of those for years and years. And that was colored by Jean-Francois Boulier. I hope I'm close. Just a, It's fantastic. It ramps up Kirkman's vision to the extreme. I think the series begins anew with Van Lenty's take on it. It it's I certainly enjoyed it more than Kirkman's. Uh I'm reading the hardcover or I've read the hardcover. In the back of the book, you not only get the covers to the series proper, Arthur Soydem's take on Jack Kirby's Machine Man number one cover. You also get I guess uh for a month it was zombie month at Marvel and yes, yes. Ver- various books had zombie covers there's a marco jurjevic amazing spider-man 573 amazing spider-girl 25 you get a richard corbin take on zombie cable and it's really disturbing the the baby hope is all dead and covered with flies on his chest and it's nasty man um you get a couple uh covers from captain britain and mi-13 a smoking hot daredevil cover by travel foreman and our buddy maury hollowell where where daredevil instead of swinging a billy club is swinging his is it the uh tibia in your arm oh okay and the uh (laughs) the muscles are the rope which holds onto the other part of his arm and it's holding the billy club really cool really cool stuff there's another arthur soydem variant for incredible hercules there's a nova variant which i never saw before by wellington alvis scott Hanna, and a variant scar son of hulk so y- you get a whole and some penciled pages a young x-men variant it's a really cool book it's 19 bucks for four issues but you get some extra stuff so it's well worth it Ooh. wow it's a hardcover there's only four issues four yeah. issues four issues but they, but they were bucks for four issues they were 3.99 or when they came out so eh, they're just trying to get their money back i guess I thought no, it was no, worth it. No thanks. I bought it with a coupon, so I didn't pay that. Okay. But today, Marvel Zombies Return number one came out. Also written by Fred Van Lenty. Oh, draw- what? So let's keep the zombie talk going. Come on. I won't. No, because it came out today. I'm not going to go into it too More much. More zombies, Vince. Give them to us. Come I will on. do that. Drawn by Nick Dragota. Very Ooh, cool. Oh, yes. Where Van Lenty basically played it straight, for the most part, in Marvel Zombies 3. This return series seems to be he's playing it for laughs. It's it's very funny. But it's it's an over the top gore bladder fest. I guess you can call it splat stick. It's slapstick, mm-hmm. but it's it, it all it involves this dismemberment. <laughs> I call it that now. Yeah. The Marvel Zombies version of Spider Man, if you remember from the second series, went into space 
mm-hmm. with with all his buddies, the cosmic uh, Galactus, cosmic infused zombies went into space. He finds his way to an Earth very much like the Marvel six one six. It's not though. It's drawn in a Steve Ditko style, and basically, it's Marvel Zombie Spider Man eating the Sinister Six. That's what this that's this entire issue involves: Spider Man devouring the Sinister Six. It's it's funny as hell. He uh, busts through Mysterio's helmet and eats his brains. He completely eviscerates the Vulture. It's all played for laughs. Very funny. It's disgusting, though. Mary Jane, uh, yeah, it doesn't look good for any of the characters on this earth. But, uh, again, an Arthur Soydum cover, so you got to buy it, Jason. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Let's see. Let's, okay, so let me just make a mental note. We're going to start spending, let's, we're going to start pimping $5 an issue hardcovers with Soydum covers. Nice. All right, cool. I'm on hey, board, dude. You've I'm all about the, the saving money. But, no, I mean, I'll say. I used a coupon. And I got a discount at the comic shop on the first issue. And the first issue of the return is three ninety nine. So if you're adverse to buying thirty two page comics for three ninety nine, wait till it gets collected. But it's really wait, good. Thirty thirty two meaning ten ten ads. Right. It's a, it, it, yeah, it's twenty two page book. Yeah. 20, okay, twenty two pages and ten ads, okay. Yeah. But I'm loving what Fred Le- Van Linthe's doing with the zombies. They it's in very capable hands. And if you he's, if you if you're he, if you're a baby pinching puppy kicker who does not like fun comics, stay away because that's what the Marvel Zombies is about. It's about over the top situations. It's fun. It gives you a little bit what you know and a, and a cool what if story, and it doesn't take itself seriously. That's what I love about it. I do believe that uh, I don't know how many more Marvel Zombie stories Fred has in him. I think Jonathan Mabry, who is the new current writer of Black Panther and wrote. Uh, a Wolverine story. I think he's on tap to do maybe Marvel Zombies. I think five and six. I oh, think. Oh, really? They're gonna go that far? Cool. Yeah, they're still they're still. Well, keep going as long as it sells. I mean, yeah. I'll be buying them as long as, as long as Vince keeps buying the hardcovers. Yeah, they're gonna make it. I'll be buying them. I I saw that beautiful Arthur Soydum Machine Man cover and I said, dude, I have to own this and I will share the love with my buddy Jason because I know. The question is, is is who actually drew that cover? Jack Kirby. Photoshop. Yeah, okay, so there you go. Yeah, homage. Yeah. Look it up. Homage, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> go to Google. Yeah, no, so, so I didn't send homages, but he sent a lot of other stuff, too. No, I mean, I'm the, I'm the least pretentious person, I hope. I, I just find this stuff enjoyable. I'm not expecting yeah. anything other than no, entertainment the, on yeah, it. Yeah, the, fun, the, the first series was just a lot of fun. So. Right. That's I didn't didn't need to to go on past that, but uh, that's okay. No, it's, it sounds like it's pretty cool. Yeah. I love the fuck it guy. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. I love the fuck it guy. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. I love the fuck it guy. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yes, I love the fuck it guy. 
Before we get off, I just have to say, though, because the, since we are talking about Fred Van Lente, um, he and Ryan Dunleavy did uh, a fantastic series called Action Philosophers that really is, is a treasure to read. And the collected edition, the complete Action Philosophers, is being solicited in this month's previews. So for yes. those oh, that nice. do uh, pre-order stuff, I, I don't, I haven't seen the DCBS discount yet on it. but uh, I don't think it's up yet. Yeah, but, uh, but it is being solicited. And, and if you haven't read the series it, it uh it is absolutely fantastic i mean it's uh it's basically there there it's a comic book look at uh, the history of philosophy and uh and it's, it's terrific and they're doing a follow-up to that it's, now called comic book comics which is a history of comic books but uh which is also equally fantastic it's different obviously it's much more closer to home but uh but i love the action philosophers so. it is it is edutainment it is yes and it's a meaty read it takes yes. it takes me two oh, hours sure. to get through yeah. a, a, a a comic book comics issue. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. definitely. Yep. Yeah, Medium. And action, action philosophers is also available uh, on uh, on the iPhone. Cool. As as his picture box. That's right. How about that? Yeah. I that was shocking. I, I I did that for you, Bill. Yeah. Well, see, I thought we were going to lead in with the uh, the Marvel Disney news, so I was going to tweak jason's twaddle and say oh and everybody knows that the the news of the week is that picture box will be available on the ice so but i we 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 played it differently but so i yeah we must i guess do justice to the the disney marvel thing talk about it a little bit yeah talk about a little bit what do you guys want i mean Uh, you weren't here last episode and this is your uh expertise so you go well, I have to say, uh, in my line of work, you know, um, it's not unusual for me to come in in the morning and I get deluged with, uh, you know, news reports and, and feeds and stuff of what's happening. And yeah, I'd say most days there's some kind of merger acquisition, some relatively small, some quite large. But, you know, I'm usually like, oh, okay, this is interesting or, oh, let me check this out. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> this is probably the first one in my career where I was absolutely uh not only surprised but but, Holy but shit. just uh yeah but but i thought wow this is actually something i'm genuinely interested in thinking through so yeah so so obviously by now anyone that's listening to us or is into comics has heard that disney has acquired marvel uh entertainment for uh a princely sum of of roughly four billion dollars i say roughly because it's it's not a it's not a hard and fast price it's actually um thirty dollars per share plus uh plus a component that's at disney stock so obviously if disney stock goes down or up from here the, the the overall price they pay will will kind of vary but it's roughly four billion dollars for for the sake of discussion um which was a 29 percent premium to what marvel stock was trading at uh, prior to the announcement so quite a hefty premium for a company that was already trading you know at its all-time highs so you think back where marvel was what uh 15 years ago now is it, is it uh and where, what just happened it's a pretty remarkable ride and i have to tip my cap to uh, ike perlmutter who's the Who's the, uh, the the largest Marvel shareholder, and obviously the guy that, that turned them around. He was the CEO of Toy Biz, who took Marvel out of bankruptcy and and turned them into what they are today. And and he's he's obviously getting his his desserts uh, with this with this acquisition. Uh, and he'll he'll remain as the uh, the chairman of Marvel under Disney, and and really still run the show. My understanding is that contingent to this deal is that Ike basically still gets to call all the shots within Marvel, which uh, which should be music to comic geeks here is because if that's true at least for now it seems like it will be that would suggest to me that the status quo um for things like comics won't 
will certainly change, at least noticeably for, for the near term, uh, at least, if not the long term. I read that um, uh, he stands to make $1.5 billion off this. Yeah, thing. well, he's the largest Marvel shareholder. So, yeah, that's correct. He, he's, he's, uh, he owns roughly, I think it's a third of the company. So, so that's, yeah. <laughs> Man. Get, get, yeah. So good for him, obviously. All right. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, and, and the, the way now I haven't seen the uh, the details on this merger in terms of that yet. But but typically, almost every merger, the um, the acquired company's options vest immediately. So that means that like anyone that works at Marvel, like Joe Q, or, or I don't know if the creators get options. Yeah, maybe maybe some Marvel creators could chime in there. But anyone that's got Marvel stock options, you know, usually stock options with a company vest over time. You know, mm-hmm. so like you get them, but you have to wait five, ten years for them to vest to be fully valued. Um, usually with a merger like this, they vest fully immediately. So like if if somebody got options a year ago, they're basically hitting the lottery here, which is which is good. So it benefits any Marvel employee, not just the bigwigs, because I know there was some talk in our forums. You know, the typical. Oh, the rich just get richer. Well, no. Usually, with a merger like this, anybody that's got any kind of stock in in Marvel or options is going to benefit, uh, you know, proportionally. So, so it's a, it's a boon for anybody that works there that has options. Well, yeah, we put, but it, how what what percentage of the people that work? Well, yeah, at but I'm saying, but again, though, it's, it's all right. It's no <laughs> most most employees. Again, the creators don't because they're work for hire. But most employees yeah. of Marvel Entertainment have stock options. I mean, that's most public companies these days use some kind of stock option compensation because it allows you to pay people less. <laughs> you, know, you pay them less, you give them options, and and they they work hard yeah. for what might be. So yeah, we posted a thread in the in the forums to uh, have people post questions and. Uh, you know, obviously, rather than spend a tremendous amount of time talking about this, we just, you know, figured we'd take a few of the questions that I think were pertinent. Um, the big thing here, and I know we've all talked about it offline, is that it's exciting. It will definitely mean a lot of things can be different, bigger, better, worse in the future. But we have to be mindful that, first of all, this merger isn't going to close until the end of the year. Any merger of this size and magnitude is going to take a long time to sort out. And I'm confident in saying that a lot will be different three to five years from now than would have been had Marvel stayed independent. But I honestly can't tell you, nor can anyone, how things are going to change until it happens. Uh, I know everybody wants answers. You know, in, in today's internet age where we want all the answers immediately. I mean, I was stunned when this deal happened that day. I mean, there were thousands of blog posts and questions like, well, what's going to happen to the theme parks? Well, what's going to happen to Boom? Well, what's going to happen to Diamond? Well, Disney and Marvel don't know the answers to that yet, you know, and and they won't know until they kind of get the the feel the feel of the land. We don't know yet what Marvel's going to be like inside of Disney. You know, the studio we know the studio is going to be run independently. We know that because uh, they've come out and said that. We know that that obviously the theme park issue will will certainly come to bear because. Disney is big on theme parks, and they have a chance to stick it to Universal Studios sooner rather than later. So we know that's going to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen to the comics business. You know, the uh, Marvel Comics did 120 million dollars in, in in publishing revenue last year. That's roughly one half of one percent of Disney's consolidated revenue. So it is yeah. the definition of a rounding error, which can be a good or bad thing. It can be a good thing in the sense that you know. Disney, much like Time Warner when they bought DC, probably doesn't have a lot of incentive to pay too much attention to comics. As large as comics, as large as, as long as Joe Q and those guys are making their numbers and selling lots of comics and having a high market share and putting up great margins, which I don't see why that's going to change, You know, I don't see that they're going to have much of an incentive to interfere. It's potentially a bad thing because it's such an insignificant line item that certainly Disney could decide that it's just not 
worth their time and effort, depending. So, um, I, again, but I don't see why they would do that as long as they're making a good profit on the business, which they are making a great profit on the business. So we have tons of questions. We have five pages of questions, but I, I just figured I would uh, just kind of take a few of the, I think, the more pertinent ones, recognizing that most of these questions were speculative, and I understand asking them, but, you know, look, I, I'd be speculating as much as, 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 as you guys would be. So why, you know, I, I, why answer them? I guess the the first one, uh, a lot of people are asking questions about what does this mean for pick a partner. A- again, there there's some things we can be sure of. One, um, the Paramount and Sony deals, which are the movie deals, they will be going away. There's no question about that. Uh, Paramount signed a five-picture deal with Marvel, which they will have to honor, and that ends in 2012. Once that's over, Disney's going to make all the Marvel movies and, and distribute them in house. It's one of the main reasons they're doing this deal. So, so for the next few years for, you know, the Captain America movie, for the Thor movie, for the Avengers movie, nothing will change. You know, Marvel's already in production with those Paramount will distribute them and there'll be no difference. But after that, what comes after that, you know, those will be Disney pictures along with that. A lot of people asking about Pixar and, you know, we're going to see Pixar Marvel movies. I'd say down the line, there's a good chance of it on the conference call. The Disney, uh, Disney, uh, execs, you know, Bob Iger made the point of saying that John Lasseter, who of course is the the you know the head of Pixar now, John Lasseter actually spent some time with Marvel in the last few weeks and came away really excited about the properties and the brand. So I can only presume that that means that they will having some kind of collaboration down the line. But again, probably nothing we'll see as fans for at least three years because it just takes that long to you know spec and 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 do a movie these days. So what's it going to mean for the direct market? Well, I mean, again, all I know is that I spoke to Bob Turretson at Cowan two months ago and asked him about Diamond's financial troubles and were they mindful of them. He said at the time they were very mindful of Jeppy and Diamond's situation. They are always ready with alternatives, but he left it at that. You know, whether that was sort of, you know, a harbinger of things to come here, I don't know. Disney certainly has a very large publishing arm, um, not comics, but other things that they distribute on their own to, to bookstores. They did make a point of saying they plan on using Marvel's brands and expanding them into the big box retailers, which means obviously Walmart and Target. So uh, could things change there? Yeah, I think they could. Will they change in the next year or two? Probably not, but I suspect that this will definitely give Marvel uh, more leverage with, with, with Diamond uh, in terms of the way that they approach the direct market going forward. But if I were retailers, I wouldn't worry about, about anything, at least, uh, again, in the near term, unless they're given reason to worry uh, specifically. Hey, 11 o'clock comments crew. This is Sean, uh, a.k.a. Optimus Black on the 11 o'clock uh, forum boards. I've been listening to you guys' episodes uh, nonstop since episode 52, and I tell you, man, y'all have just been killing it. Um, you know, I had never listened to 11 o'clock comics before, and now I'm officially hooked. Y'all are like, you know, one of my major comic book podcast staples, you know, during my weekly listens to all these comic book podcasts. See, this is what gets me about y'all. Y'all get me all hyped up about some comic books. I mean, you know, I listen to all types of podcasts, and I enjoy them, and, I, you know, they make me enjoy comics. Y'all get me hyped. I'm for real. It's like church every single week, and I don't miss it. And, uh, you know, the interaction on the forum boards, everybody's real cool, spreading karma and love out to everybody. You just can't beat it. You can't. It's fantastic. I love the ebb and flow that y'all give to the comics world. So please maintain and keep that up because now I'm hooked. I'm here every week. And Vince, I know you're, you know, a Transformers fan like myself. Now, even though I didn't really care much for the two movies, they they have high notes, but they're not as exciting for me as they are for you. But 
on the old school Transformers comic book, the to me, the best issues are like the first twelve issues of the Marvel run. Especially the end of issue four when it was just a four issue limited series where like the Autobots and the Subsecons get in this big ass battle and the Autobots pull it out, everything it looks like everything's going, you know, be cool and be okay and I know where everybody just gets blasted by Shockwave. Like the biggest pussy in the animated Transformers universe is hardcore in the original Marvel Comics uh, Transformers universe, and that just kills me to no end. And I love those first 12 issues. If you get a chance to go back and read them, man, trust me, you will enjoy them through and through. Anyway, I got about peace and good times to y'all, and y'all continue. Church! What's going to happen with the theme parks? Well, it's a little bit of an issue. Um, for those that, that are fans of theme parks, Universal Studios has an Islands of Adventure where the two main roller coasters are a Hulk and a Spider-Man roller coaster. Those aren't going away anytime soon. They have per- in perpetuity rights to them, meaning that basically as long as they keep them alive, they have the rights to those characters for roller coasters. I suspect Universal isn't going to be looking to uh, tear them down because it would cost them tens of millions of dollars to do that. So basically they'll be around as long as those roller coasters are around, which are typically, you know, I'd say probably another eight to ten years. Now, two years ago, they had a much deeper relationship with Marvel that they broke off. You know, they had a Marvel restaurant. They had more more Marvel-centric stuff in the park. They already had gotten rid of that. So what we will see in Disney parks in, in, in short order is, is lots and lots more Marvel stuff. You know, Marvel tchotchkes, Marvel books, Marvel costumes, Marvel plush toys, you know, we'll see that um, for sure. Next question, I guess, that's coming up a lot here is what does Disney have to gain from this? Why they do it now? You know, that sort of thing. Did they pay too much? Well, look, as an investor, I care if they paid too much. Um, as a fan of comic books or Marvel movies, uh, you shouldn't care if they paid too much. <laughs> the point is Disney paid what they paid, and they could afford to pay it. So um, unless you're a Disney shareholder, I wouldn't sweat whether or not they paid too much. You know, that's kind of an irrelevant issue. Um, why they did it? Well, look, uh, here's the thing. Disney is the is the largest licensor in the world. They, their their products are generate thirty billion dollars of licenses uh, in the world, and that dwarfs number two. Number two is a company called uh, Iconics, which is a clothing company. That just to give you an example, that they, they do six billion a year in license revenues. So just to put that in perspective, Disney is five times larger than anyone else in the world at licensing things. So they are the the eight hundred pound gorilla. No one's close to them. The reason that they bought Marvel is because Marvel has moved all the way up to number four in the world in licensing. Marvel last year, $5.7 billion of Marvel stuff was sold across the world. I think they have 13,000 different companies that license Marvel characters for different things. So, you know, basically... The number one licensor in the world is buying the number four licensor, and that, that's the way to really think about this. And it's an important market for Disney. You know, Disney's been really aggressively pursuing the quote-unquote teen market with things like High School the Musical and Hannah Montana and all that stuff. Uh, but what they really haven't done well with is the boy tween market. They don't really have a big market for young boys, and obviously Marvel is the king of that. And they're just rolling that up into their own business. And so Disney is already you know, a monster and it's just getting bigger with this deal. They are very excited about the movies. They spent a lot of time on the conference call talking about the fact that Iron Man is what really sealed this deal. Um, you know, Iron Man for a comic geek, we all know who Iron Man is, but the average American had no idea who Iron Man was before the movie came out and it's built into a $700 million franchise. So Disney said that that any company that can do that with a character that most Americans had never heard of before is a company that they want to learn from. 
and, uh, and and that makes a ton of sense. So, I mean, those are the big questions. I mean, again, I know everyone wants to know what's going to happen to the comic world. I, I just don't. I don't know that. You know, I just I don't know. We don't know. It's pure speculation. I can tell you that every creator that I've talked to, or heard from, or heard on Twitter, or spoken to is excited that works for Marvel. Um, I think there's genuine excitement at guys like Joe Q and those guys have been. You know, seems like they're in the loop here. You know, it seems like they're genuinely excited about what this means for them. You know, whether or not that excitement will prove unfounded a year or two from now, we'll see. But they're certainly excited about it now, and uh, and obviously there's tremendous potential here. Whether or not the potential is realized, I don't know. But I think there's certainly, you know, we can get excited about what this might mean. And, and I guess the last thing that keeps coming up is the Steve Jobs connection. Um, I'm seeing a lot of places say that Steve Jobs is the chairman of Disney. He is not the chairman of the board of Disney. George, George, George George Mitchell's the chairman of the board of Disney. He's got he's got a seat on the board. Yes, but he is on the board, and I think people's confusion is the fact that uh, Steve Jobs is the largest Disney shareholder. So you could make the analogy that in some ways Steve Jobs just bought Marvel. So that there is some truth to that. Jobs is on the board of Disney, and yes, he does obviously uh, run Apple. So I think it's fair to say that if Marvel's going to make a big push into the world of digital comics, it's probably going to come a lot quicker than it would have otherwise, and it probably is coming via iTunes. So, and you know, Stark Tech, Stark Tech is all going to be developed in Cupertino. That's right. That's right. Uh, whether or not you know, um, and then I guess the other thing I keep seeing is you know, is Marvel gonna, are they going to move Marvel to New York? No, they're not going to move Marvel to New York. Um, again, Disney is a global company with offices all across the world, as is Marvel. Uh, Marvel's corporate headquarters is going to stay in New York. They have a long-term lease there. It's already you know built to run there. It's a good lease. Uh, Marvel Studios is in Manhattan Beach, California. It's a dedicated studio that they just got a nice long-term lease for. They're not going to break that lease. So all that kind of stuff stays the same. So I would say as a fan, very little is going to change in the near term unless you're a huge theme park goer because then maybe you'll see some changes. I'd say three years from now when we revisit this, you know, hopefully as fans we'll talk about how this was so great for the comics world. Um, if I had to handicap, I'd say it's you know, 60-40 it goes that way. You know, It's probably better than 50-50. Um, and we'll just have to go from there. You know, it, it, one of the things that it, that's kind of been going through my head this week is, you know, we're 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 not in uncharted water here. I mean, we we already live in a world that one of the two major comic book publishers are owned by a major media conglomerate. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is nothing that is going to be shocking. To, to any of us, nor is this the first time that Marvel has been owned by somebody. So, um, you know, certainly Disney is is huge, and the opportunities that get opened up there, it's going to be yeah. exciting. It, mm-hmm. It's it's I, I think it just opens up a world of possibility to get more and better stories into more hands out there. So I think I yeah. think that the the opportunity there for something special, you know. Yeah, I know a lot of the creators have, uh, I know Steve Bryant posted a thing in a thread about what does this mean for the icon line. Um, I, at first I thought, oh, I don't know that it matters. I actually do think there's, pro- if there's if there's any part of Marvel that probably does get changed, it probably is the icon line. Because again, um, one thing Disney in all of its different studios and properties is, is, is fairly universal on is that um, anything you do at home, uh, on vacation, in the shitter... Or at your office, if you're a Disney employee, is property of Disney. Any idea you come up with is theirs, lock, stock, and barrel. And that's just the way they roll. They do that at Pixar. They do that at their other studios. They do it at ABC, ESPN. So I do think that from that perspective, it'll probably be a policy change. I don't know that, the, that you know, if, if they have an icon line, it'll be, 
it will let you put out what you want to put out, but recognize that we own it. And I don't. Again, that kind of defeats the point of having an autonomous. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, don't, so, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that those guys are going to right. So, so whether that, that means so. that Marvel lets those guys say, "Hey, you can strike a deal elsewhere," obviously, because we don't want you to stop publishing that stuff if you still, if you care about it. That that may be the way they go. So I think that makes sense. Um, I know a lot of people are worried about does this mean they're going to Disneyfy content? You know, that's I think no. a misnomer. Um, no. Mar- Disney had a, had a long term relationship with Miramax for a long for a long long time. Um, which obviously puts out plenty of of, of R-rated material. Um, they they own you know they own uh, ABC, which has plenty of adult you know sophisticated shows, especially after you know the ten o'clock hour. So I don't I don't see that that's a, an issue to worry about. Um, I, I do know that Marvel's been putting a lot of push uh, on their own kids brands. You know, obviously Superhero Squad and MarvelKids.com. So I think there's a lot of synergies there right off the bat. Um, which is oh, good I'm, I'm I'm super excited about what this could mean for the Marvel Adventures line. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, That'd I mean, certainly, awesome. you have to think that at least almost immediately, right? You're going to be able to go to a Disneyland or Disney World or a Disney store and mm-hmm. see Marvel Adventures trades and superhero squad toys and stuff, which is goodness. You know, I mean, anything that expands the the brands into new new audiences is great. Um, yep. So, and one of the things that Chris mentioned, which I did not consider at the time the news broke, was what does this mean for the cross-gen characters? Mm-hmm. Will we ever see those in the Marvel Universe? So who knows? That's an interesting question because... Um, and that's I've, Chris. I've seen the, so. Yeah, I've, I've seen the cross-gen issue brought up on both sides of the, the argument, right? Which is that if you were pessimist, you could say, well, this shows you what Disney really thinks of comics. They've had cross-gen forever and done nothing with it. Obviously, the optimist, which I think probably we all lean toward with this, is that, well... Disney didn't know what to do with it, but certainly they now have a company that not only knows what to do with comics but dominates the comics market. So how cool would it be if they brought CrossGen back? So I, you know, I think that seems like the more logical way to look at this. You know, I, I mean, Disney didn't have a comics arm really of their own, so I, I could see why they didn't well, really know. I mean, you, you start laying down those those yeah, licensing numbers. Why, why would they? Why would they even bother? Yeah, and you mentioned Warner you know, Brothers, Chris. I mean, to give you an example, I mean, Warner Brothers is third on that list, just over six billion in sales. So, I mean, you know, th- that's that's the directly analogous thing here, right? Warner owns DC um, and bought them for the characters, and, and I think anyone would tell you, even Warner, in an honest moment, would tell you they haven't done as well with the characters as they should have. I mean, there's no reason that that with the the, the great characters in the DC library that they don't have more success, um, and, and obviously a lot of that stems from their movies of late, um, say for for Batman have, have not been yeah. as, as successful. Um, oh, I'm yeah, hoping yeah, that's yeah. going to change. You know, we've got, obviously, talk, you know, we've got the Green Lantern in the works. There's talk of, of, of another Superman reboot. Um, so I, I think certainly there's, they're, you know, they're one, they're one great movie away from all of a sudden being on a winning streak, right? If they, if they put out a great, if Green Lantern's a huge hit, all of a sudden they have a Batman franchise, a Green Lantern franchise, and they look like they're, they're rock stars too. Sure. So I, you know. I, think, I, think, I think Green Lantern could be for them what Iron Man was for, for Marvel. Got my boy in it, so Ryan Reynolds, yeah. my boy. Yeah, it, it could be, it could be, it could be that that big. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, what do you guys uh, think? I mean, if you, you know, put on your crystal ball. I mean, did, were you shocked by this? Surprised? Do you think it's a, a non-event as far as your your own personal consumption of this stuff? I'm not very business or finance minded, so my initial reaction was whatever. I, I really don't yeah. care who owns Marvel as long as they grant autonomy to the publishing division. I don't care what they do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's kind of neat. Uh, hopefully, there will be some trickle down, and Marvel Comics will be available in more diverse outlets. And if you translate that statement, it's maybe 
uh, Disney will decide to crush Diamond, and I'll be really happy. So, <laughs> I mean, other than that, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, good for yeah. Marvel. That's the one thing I think that that it needs to be understood relative to Disney, because, like I say, when I say, "Oh, Marvel's the fourth largest licensor in the world already," you know, I, I think that illustrates it. I was cracking up. I've seen a lot of places this week people saying, "Like, oh man, you know, Marvel's no, going to, you know, just got swallowed up by, you know, the man, or they're going corporate." And I laugh at that, right? Because because Marvel's already one of the largest brand names in the world. Oh, so sure. the idea that they weren't already corporate is, is asinine. But Disney is a different beast. Like, obviously, with the Walmart issue, you know, Walmart. The re- one of the reasons Walmart is so giant and dominant, they they dictate terms to all of the people that sell at Walmart. You know, what Walmart says is what the the, the people that sell in the Walmart do. Well, there are a few exceptions to that, and one is Disney. You know, Disney is large enough globally that they dictate the terms of what their shelf space is, how it looks, where it's placed in the store. They're really one of the only brands that have that power. And I don't think Marvel had that power. Uh, I don't think Warner Brothers has that power. So the idea now that Marvel is is part of that is exciting because they could go to Walmart and say, we want you to put a kiosk in your book section full of Marvel trade paperbacks. And and Walmart would normally tell Marvel or or, or, or Time Warner, suck it. No, I'm not doing that, you know. But they wouldn't say that to Disney. It's too important to clock. Uh, partner. So, do, yeah. do you think this may translate to lower cover prices somehow? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no. That. no. That's Disney a major. That's uh, no. But I've been just thinking that's a major stumbling block. Block. Even though they do have preferred treatment and a very visible presence, and say eventually they do have that presence in Walmart. You can you can bring the people to the flashy display, but once they see a comic book price for three ninety nine, how many of them are going to walk away with it? Well, no. Again, I mean, I think we're we're t- this would it would be collected editions. I mean, I, I don't I don't think we're going to suddenly see see you know monthly periodicals sitting in Walmart in big droves. I mean, I so which which actually may translate into lower prices per issue collected. Well, collected editions. You, you never know. Yeah. Well, you've seen nothing but their collected edition prices go up. Yeah, I mean, I would say this. They're Vince, more. How, how, is, much, how much was that Marvel Zombies hardcover for the four issues? <laughs> Couple down. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. The other thing is, is yeah. this is where the financial aspects do come into play because uh, a lot of Disney uh, analysts and whatnot have criticized that they paid too much and it was kind of desperation. Um, I do think it was a, de- a, a clear indication. It was a high price. I do think it was a sign that Disney was feeling desperate. That being said, they're not going to be looking to. Um, Disney is a premium brand. You know, they charge premium prices for their things because they feel they're warranted. So um, they're they're not in the business of being the low cost provider of anything that they do, whether it be theme parks or uh, you know or clothes or playing cards or you know comic books or DVDs. Right. So I don't. I, I mean, that's not one of the reasons I think the Marvel the Marvel way fits with Disney is that they both price their products on a premium basis and they get people to pay those prices. Okay, so I think we sufficiently covered yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Spent a half hour on it. Hopefully, that's you did an excellent job, Mr. Wood. I'm proud Thank of you, Jason. Thanks. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of listeners' eyes were glossing over, so we tried to wait. We tried to keep it to the end, so that if well, people... it doesn't really matter because once New Mutant hears it, he's going to be, "Yo, my boy, Jason. Yeah, he'll be on the forum." Yeah. So God love him. Preach. Hey, I uh oh. Yeah, I, um, hello? Vince? Vince, you there? Vince, just want to tell you I love you. I think you, uh, you're a hell of a guy. Love your show. You guys, take care now.
As usual, this episode of 11 O'Clock Comics has been sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. Quit it. Stop paying retail prices for your comics. You can get them a hell of a lot cheaper at dcbservice.com. Huge discounts, excellent packing, timely service, right to your door. You need to know no more. Check them out. You'll be glad that you did. Amen. Amen. In your travels, why don't you pick up Comics Journal 299 and learn something? Nice. Damn. Damn. Or why don't you pick up uh, Jack Staff and and be incredibly entertained? And oh. I'm I'm falling in love with Paul Grist. You, as well, you should. <laughs> the man is phenomenal. Uh, read uh, Young Light. No. Uh, read. Um, <laughs> oh, very Pat. nice. No, wait. Uh, read oh. Young Liars. Don't. <laughs> I said it. I said you just it killed young Tom Caters. Just I said, a little bit. I, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go for uh, fall back on on an old favorite. Keep reading X Factor because issue 200, baby. That's right. Nice. Yes, sir. Um, oh, and before I do my read, let's just. I want to do. Let's first congratulate Mr. Tom Caters because a few days after people listen to this, he will be uh, betrothed. Right. So he hitched. Yep. yep. Yes. Chris, I assume you guys uh, are looking forward to that. That's, that. that's this weekend, right? Yes. It should be a fun time. Um, and also, congratulations to our buddy Chris and Tom uh, and Sal and, and all the others related to the show for AC uh, having their 250th episode that was recorded last Yay. week. So it's nice. a nice, nice <laughs> testament. And, yeah, uh, and, yeah, we, yeah, we never make a big deal out of the, out of the anniversary episodes we're not i mean we're not self-indulgent like i fanboy who has oh shit so i guess i can't i was just gonna say that if you happen to be in the new york area uh this friday uh at hanley jim hanley's universe the i fanboy guys are going to be recording live their 200th episode and there's going to be some drinking afterwards and i uh, i am leaning towards attending if you feel like hanging out with me why don't so, you why don't you go there and uh, and and tell the boys i said congratulations because right, that because that. they uh that you know they they may have only done 200 audio episodes and that's just their numbered ones but they've got a lot of movie specials and and talk explodes and that kind of stuff yeah. but they've they've also done 137 weekly video podcasts mm-hmm. and they did well over 100 uh iFanboy minis they've produced a crap ton of of content and they they deserve some big props. Those guys work on it hard. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, and I will uh, say, do yourselves a favor. Keep reading all the great comics we talk about. But also, if you're feeling like buying a trade, make sure you go out and pick up the recently released, fantastic and wonderful Pax Romana by Mister. Oh, I got that. It uh, it was everything I hoped for and more. It was nightly news plus. Uh, the idea of of religion and science and uh, and the importance of uh, of one over the other, which uh, I'm a big fan of, as many of you know. So uh, I loved every every page of it, and we'll probably talk about it at some point down the line. But but go ahead and read because, it because because one one is real and one is fake. <laughs> hey. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on. And I'm just kidding. Maybe some people that with faith on I, the show. So. I I love you and your faith. On the off chance that this is your first episode of 11 O'Clock Comics, it's usually somewhat tighter than this one. Somewhat. <laughs> so, so kind of don't hold bit. it against us. Yeah. Don't hold it. We'll, we'll be uh, top-notch next time. I promise. Yeah, so we'll there be. you go. Ethan's. 
<laughs> Say bye bye. Voice fingers. Echo Bay. Read Marvel Zombies. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>